Welcome to Schooled by Cinema, and I am Lexi Van Dyke, and usually we discuss the different parts of filmmaking process, but this is a special event, and I absolutely had to cover it. Um, so we are discussing Barbenheimer, and here to discuss it with me is Preston Mitchell. Hello. Hey, Lexi. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say, I have been so excited to see these movies and discuss them with you all week. It's kind of a surprise about who is going to be guesting with me. I just kind of put it out there that I'm going to be doing this, and I didn't say who it was. So uh, everyone's finding out now that you're you're the special person who got to discuss Barbenheimer with me. <laughs> oh man, I feel special. I feel special. But this is this is a special time um, in cinema right now. I think. And I've kind of tweeted about this a little bit over this year, and uh, and I think you have as well. But like, it's mm -hmm. like, it it's like a weirdly, it's like a uh, an exciting time. Also, a bit of a, we're experiencing like a phoenix rising from the ashes, right? We're like, because a lot of the status quo, movie wise, is kind of like burning down. Mm -hmm. We're getting a lot of interesting with this weekend uh, that we're recording counter programming between two auteur filmmakers having movies filling a lot of screens across the country right now in addition to like uh, the past few months of a lot of stuff that people would expect to hit to, to not hit as far as uh make money and then a couple of franchises that were previously for for like a decade were critic proof mm -hmm. uh kind of kind of icarusing out but then you have a lot of uh a lot of weird outliers in there and a lot of originality that i think people are hungry for so I feel privileged to come on back on your show because last time we were here, we talked, we were kind of unearthing uh, a genre <laughs> that, you know, you, you are uh, 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 famously uh, not, have not been into for a long time, but. Very famously. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I've loved like your podcast. I was telling you off mic a little bit. Like I, I've, I've, I really loved your podcast. I've loved your guest appearances. Um, more frequently on like Shock and Awe, Cult Movies, and Cobwebs most recently. And uh, yeah, I'm just really privileged to be here and talk to you about uh, film again. Well, thank you. I've been really lucky to have, we were very lucky to be in a group of people who are really awesome, great at podcasting, mm -hmm. know a lot of their stuff. Uh, they are willing to go outside of their comfort zone, hint, hint, Westerns, and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, discover some new things and chat about them. So it's always a good conversation. So I'm happy to hear that. I appreciate that. And um, I am excited to discuss this with you. And as we're talking about, we are at a very weird time, a very weird special time in movies. And mm -hmm. this kind of reminds me of the time of the cycle of the, you know, kind of the yawn to bond action movies in the 90s. Ooh, like speed and twister. Exactly, where you had this cycle up until Godzilla, you know? Oh, okay, okay. So do you mean like, kind of like how um, at the end of the 80s, you got like, well, the beginning of the 80s, you kind of had like the birth of like what we know as the contemporary action film. Yeah. And then at the end, we got like kind of a second cycle, which seemed like a little, probably seemed like a little excessive at the time to get like another 10 years of that. And by the time you get to like face off in 97 and that kind of thing, like, like a couple years later, you get the matrix, which is kind of, yeah. I've always felt like the matrix is crucial, which you've covered oh, you, yes. uh, you and James, yeah. you and James did a great job with that. Um, uh, if I'm going to offer my two cents, <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's right here. I feel like the matrix, um, 
is goes a little uncredited with its contributions to the superhero movie boom that happened at the beginning of the 2000s because mm -hmm. since it's between Blade and X-Men, you have the, the, the earlier movie, Blade, kind of feels like it's very rooted in that like horror and uh, the martial arts movies and that kind of thing. Like it, it, it doesn't, it almost doesn't play by superhero movie rules as we know them now. Like it, it feels like its own thing. Uh, X-Men feels like it's like kind of chasing that matrix energy. And the yeah. beginning, the beginning even feels like uh, it even has like the opening credits of Fight Club in a way, like with the with the animation effects and that uh -huh. kind of thing. And that all that happened because of '99, and uh, where you have this this character who is prophesized to be the one. Uh, he he gets a call, refuses the call eventually, and then and it takes it up upon himself, not because not because of what he wants to do, because it's the right thing. And I feel like like a lot of movies since we're kind of chasing that. And uh, so I think that's a great comparison. Sorry well, for rambling. I, no, 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 of course. But I think, so I think as you're talking about with the 80s action movie, I think the 80s action movie was more personality driven. Yes. Like with the Schwarzeneggers, you know, the Stallones, all the, into the early 90s. And then you have like the speed cycle where you go from like, oh, it is kind of personality, but it's more of like of an ensemble, like duo, almost like throuple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it, it goes all the way until, as I was saying, like the Godzilla hype. And then people like hated that movie and then it stopped. And then the Matrix opened the door mm -hmm. because the technology kind of caught up with these ideas of, of the one, the next step. And you're just primed for the super superhero cycle to kick in a little bit later. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, The Matrix, one of the genius things about it, um, I think why it's been so influential is that um, it's presenting, it's not the first movie to present some of the ideas that it's positing, like uh, the whole brain of that thing. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what is it? I think it's William Gibson's Neuromancer. That's an influence on it. Phil K. Dick, obviously, like, yeah, know, recall at the top of the decade before that, Blade mm -hmm. Runner. Uh, a lot of that stuff predates it. But it offered, a, I think, the Wachowskis them working with Bill Pope, it kind of helped create a visual language to uh, to literalize these ideas in a way mm -hmm. that people hadn't seen before. It's it's and it holds up. And I think this is kind of why we're starting to see the bubble burst this year. A lot of these like mm -hmm. very CG temples is I think there's been a misunderstanding for the past few years that people just want. Okay, people are okay. We, we're gonna have these things that are plugged in for people to go see our movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of CG, a lot of action that we haven't seen certain characters do before, um, that kind of thing. And people ultimately just want a good story, or they at least yeah. want it to be interesting and not homogenized and not on an assembly line. I mean, I, I, uh, I've said on on uh, a podcast back, uh, uh, maybe it was last year. A couple maybe where i've you know i grew up reading comics and superheroes and that kind of thing like that's very much my generation is seeing mm -hmm. those stories come to life and but i, I don't want to see that become a well to dominate other types yeah. of movies and and that kind of thing and i think that's why there's been a renewed interest in in you know just anything but, <laughs> but anything but superheroes yeah. and, and i think the idea that people and this will kind of jump into things that people don't want ip anymore 
and the whole struggle that you know people have with the Barbie thing and how they tackled that is that I don't think that people don't want IP anymore. They don't want generic IP. Like yes. you look at like the Lego movie and stuff like that, and how these movies pop up. They're they they're based off something else, but they have a new way of doing them. And I think the Barbie movie especially takes for that temp template. And I think it also I don't know if they watched this. It didn't pop up anything. But did you ever see Teen Titans go to the movie movies? I I you know what I have not, but I've heard it's really good from so it many is people. so good. It and it feels very much like a template for Barbie for when we get to it. But like mm. I think. If you are creative enough and you are self-aware enough, you we can have IP along with stuff like Oppenheimer, along with horror, along with raunchy comedies like No Hard Feelings. It's a fluctuation that's happening in the market of people want a variety and we have to have enough space in, in the movie theaters to have that variety for people to... Um, bounce around and see what they like and try out different films. Well, I agree with that. And also another point I was going to add on to that with the whole 10 year demarcation thing is because, you know, people, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm kind of, I'm one of those movie fans. Like I almost like, I like eighties movies. I like, I love yeah. a lot of 80s movies. I don't discriminate by decade. Uh, but like, <laughs> When I go when I go into when I go when I think about what my favorite 80s movies are like a yeah. lot of it it's not always the the blockbuster stuff it's not always the yeah. comedies even though it was like ground zero for a lot of the stuff yeah. that we're getting from that decade still um, but like I think about the variety that they had like you yeah. could literally like go into a theater during that summer of 1983 see Return of the Jedi a few months later even though it bombed in theaters, but it uh, became a hit on home video was the right stuff. Yeah. Which is a three hour historical drama. Uh, not too dissimilar from one of the movies that we'll be discussing actually <laughs> in, in, in that sense. Um, and, and it, it but I, but I, I've heard accounts from people who saw those movies as kids, the right stuff specifically in the theater, their minds were blown, you know, yeah. um, uh, cause of all these, uh, crafts going to the air and the effects that I needed to, to have with that. But also it's, it's telling a great story, mm -hmm. a true story at that. And you had the princess bride and, and Amadeus and, as well as ghostbusters and, and, yeah. and broadcast news and movies like that. And the point I'm getting at is that um, there kind of needs to be that balance. There needs to be the pinnacle needs to swing fantasy one decade and then the other mm -hmm. decade realism. Cause the nineties, I think that is what killed the action movie was that, you had these guys like Linklater and Wes Anderson and, and Tarantino and, yeah. and uh, 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 Kevin Smith and people like that doing doing things in their movies that people weren't either weren't doing for the past ten years or had never seen before in yeah. a lot of those cases. And so I think that's kind of what we're getting at is even if a lot of these movies aren't are, don't hit a hundred percent for you this year or the year prior. Um, I think in the wake of movies like Maverick and 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 stuff like that, I think I think that that created an app that really showed uh, us as a film culture that hey, there is an appetite for sincerity and for voices to come through and personality to come through. And I think that that's I think that's very important because as I talked about on your show, when you asked me what does cinematography mean, um, 
it's a visual means to tell a story, but I also yeah. think too, it's a visual means to really show what an artist wants to wants to relate to an audience. I think that's super rad. Yeah. So I guess we should just jump in. So which one do you want to discuss first? <laughs> we also saw these differently. I saw them all in one day and I saw Oppenheimer and then Barbie. Sure. And then you saw them two different days and you saw Barbie and then Oppenheimer, right? I did. I did. All right. All right. Okay. Your guest choice, you can decide which one we would talk about first. <laughs> because, it's, on the spot. because it's pressure in my mind. Uh huh. And I'll just say this, both of these movies need to be unpacked. Like they, there's a lot yes. going on in both of these movies for different reasons, because they're two different movies. Um, let's talk about Oppenheimer first. Good, I'm happy that we decided to do this first. Let's get the heavy stuff, let's dive into it, and <laughs> let's go into the poppy stuff afterwards. All sure. right, so you saw this, you said you saw it in 35 millimeter. You just mm -hmm. saw it today, so this is like super fresh. I saw mine last night. Yeah, I saw it about, uh, uh, my screening ended about three hours ago. Wow. Was it really busy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, wow. It started at 9.15. Uh, I went to my Alamo, uh, mm -hmm. or my local, Al my nearest Alamo. And it was, it was, it was, it, it was packing uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh -huh. When I got in, I got in like just like five minutes before the, tra uh, yeah. the trailers hit. And uh I will say, like seeing that in thirty-five, because it was it was between that seeing it normally at the Alamo or yeah. going to an IMAX. Like I know Nolan pushes yeah. for, and uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not a big IMAX guy. Like yeah. I, I actually saw Interstellar on my birthday in IMAX back uh -huh. in, back in uh, 2014, I think, and uh, it felt like I was like looking at space, but looking at it at a big oval, like where yeah. I was like kept turning my head, and it was like my first IMAX movie was. I think it was the Dark Knight. Oh wow! I think that was my first IMAX, and it made me feel like, like it gave me a little bit of a panic attack because it's so big and the seats are so steep, and it's so steep, and I don't like heights, so it gave Damn. me a little bit of like anxiety the whole time. So I think that's part of why I'm not a big IMAX person either. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of similar, like like in in the case of the dark knight and interstellar and oppenheimer all three are very loud nolan yes. movies <laughs> they're very loud at points. um uh and uh and i feel like um i feel like the, the 35 because it's a very classic feeling movie it's going it feel filmmaking wise it's going back to basics as far as yeah. like a lot of talking um the occasional explosion. I don't think that's a spoiler because yeah. of the true story <laughs> behind it. Um, and, and and so it was cool to see like those little pops and I think they're called cigarette yeah. burns and grain and stuff like that. It, it was like, ooh, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm seeing like some prestigious old movie in the theater yeah. and, I, and I dig that. Yeah, I just saw mine, right? I think it was just like digital. I don't think it was any kind of special anything, but my theater was also insanely packed filled with older people also and i saw this at like around six on a thursday so okay. i don't know they must have had their dinner they all came in no, i'm just kidding i don't want to be ageist um but <laughs> no but it was like 
everywhere. I remember when the ball went off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there was also like a few couples, you know, around. And I wonder if, you know, who was encouraging who and if they want to say Barbie before or after. But we will have to see. Um, but it was, and I was sat in the, I always like to sit in the very back row. What is your preferred seat in the theater? This is always a good question. <laughs> um, I always like to actually sit like, not super close to the front, but like uh -huh. kind of like where you can still see the screen. I like to sit in like the second or third row in the heart of the theater. Interesting. Um, yeah, because I like to at least feel the movie. Like if I go to the theater, I want the full experience. That's just how I am. Uh -huh. um, and you can still get it however way you prefer. But like I like to, I don't know, this is going to sound nerdy. Uh, <laughs> like, this is where do, we're at. We're all nerds here. We're Come all on. nerds here. Um, yeah. I do prefer to kind of sit within the rule of thirds in a movie. Mm -hmm. um, like if I sit off to the side or something, it like it's fine. But like yeah. being there, like especially seeing like uh, close-up shots, and this movie mm -hmm. has hella close-ups. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> in addition to other things, um, yeah, it makes a big difference for me. So you prefer the back? I'm guessing. I do. I've had some very bad experiences with like people sitting behind me and talking and like eating and like making noise and like hitting my seat and it always annoys me but i guess things are a little bit different now because we have bigger seats most places are recliner it's a little bit bigger area maybe i should give your your modus operandi a shot next time i go to an action movie and see what happens well, it also sounds like your your screen must have been more packed though because if it was 6 p.m on a saturday whereas oh excuse me thursday I yeah. was nine nine fifteen this yeah. morning, so like, yeah. like nine fifteen showing. Wow, that's amazing. I saw one a picture of someone posting one at two forty five a.m. <laughs> that is a wild choice. You are just a maniac if you're making that choice. <laughs> Trust me, I had my coffee too. Like, <laughs> right, but like, I, I definitely made sure to order one because yeah, it was it was early, but uh, yeah. That's funny. Okay, so what is your impression of Oppenheimer? First, like, first fresh thought. <laughs> well, um, true, truthfully, if I'm okay, truthfully, yeah. I think You're among friends, I think it's a really good movie. Yes. Um, and there's a few check marks I do have. Um, I think it's possibly Killian Murphy's best movie performance. Yeah, I would agree with that also. He's uh, excellent in this movie. Um, even better than him in a cast of people who I think are de delivering some uh, people who haven't been this good in a long time type yeah. of work um, is Robert Downey Jr. Um, yeah. It, it is, it's a remind, his role in this movie is a reminder uh, as to why you know he kind of kept, when people, when he would fall off the deep end and then come back, mm -hmm. like, for that pattern of years before uh, 2008, um, this is a reminder why. Like he summons, yeah. he doesn't have, literally he's the star of the highest grossing movie of all time. Like he doesn't yeah. have to, 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 to be this good, but he, he, he fucking brings it. And whenever he's given a chance to, to act, the, the movie almost stops to be like, Hey, like, let's, let's, let's see this guy go. That's amazing. Absolutely. Um, Ludwig Göransson, his score. I, first off, I think Göransson is one of the most, interesting composers who is who's working in film today mm -hmm. um like ever since it's like ever since the first creed and then he won the oscar for black panther and now he's scoring yeah. 
Nolan movies, like because he scored yeah. the last Nolan movie as well. Um, he he always brings it, and it, it's almost it almost feels Zimmer adjacent at points, but I think it fits with this movie, and I'm I'm honestly kind of glad Zimmer didn't do this movie. And I'll, I'll I have a I have a few reasons why later on. Yeah. Um, I think it's like the repetition factor that's very Zimmer-like. Yes, yes. And I think the if this didn't have the score it had, I don't think it would work as well as it does. Agreed, agreed. Because, <laughs> because um, a couple of complaints that I have and the reason why I, what keeps it from being a masterpiece, like, mm -hmm. like a lot of people I see are professing, is that I do think it's too long first off. Um, yeah, I do too. I think Nolan has developed an inclination and I've been thinking a lot about Nolan uh, recently, uh, obviously, because I knew I was going to you know, do this double with mm -hmm. you, but also, um, you know, I rewatched uh, uh, one of his movies uh, last week and um, I was thinking like, wow, like this is one of the last times that he would make something that felt a little normal, that mm -hmm. felt like that. Um, Cause I would say the dark Knight uh, uh, feels, you know, normal in a, in a sense, but it also transcends in a way. Um, and he kind of likes to play with time a lot. And yeah. I feel like inception is literal with that, like yeah. literally with the levels, different dream levels and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then after that, like he really does like to, I mean, he's always like to fuck with the audience, but he, he, I feel like this movie would be better served if it was linear. And I think I think a bigger problem for me is that by being jumbled up and for, by being three hours long, a lot of there's one of the subplots or one of the timelines. I mm -hmm. can't even call it timelines in a biopic, but here we are. <laughs> um, that I feel like almost doesn't need to be as magnified as it is because yeah. it, it, it feels like it comes out of left field to me, and it yeah. really diffused my attention uh in some respects and that's kind of where i'm that's where i'm at with the movie i i i wanted to come to this podcast first mm -hmm. <laughs> to unpack these thoughts with you um but i think it's a really good movie i do think no one no one's out uh <laughs> and and it keeps it from being that 10 out of 10 banger that I that I that I feel like a movie this important should be. That said, people should go see it. Yes. Should go see it in no matter if it's digital 70, 35, whatever, people need to go see this and, and support something like this. But keep in mind before you go that it is very much an Oscar drama. Yeah. No one is going for that Oscar. And I think there's a lot of collision that happens and not just in the film. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a very good movie. And I think that this movie would be better served if he took an editing eye and took out the parts that weren't necessary. Um, because I do, I actually don't mind the timeline jumbles. Mm -hmm. Um I feel like it was a way for him to build tension in a biopic of something we already know about because I think the tension mm -hmm. in this film unfortunately is not really about the legacy of Oppenheimer and the mass destruction that this project that he was head of uh you know caused mm -hmm. I think it's more about 
the legacy of a man who decided to jump from theory into action. Like, that is the tension of the film, is this man who was told his entire life that he was a theory person, and he got his chance to, um, you know, put those theories into real life, Mm -hmm. and this is what, this is what happened when you, and I think that that's why he, a part of why he has the Prometheus myth at the beginning, Um, I think, obviously, for many reasons that's why this this parallels this story and unfortunately i don't think he grapples enough with the legacy that the unfortunate legacy that he has there that he tried he tries he tries to show parts of it and how it would affect him but do we shouldn't we be showing how this affected other people that's just it is um because i okay first off i love your interpretation that's super dope um because i I didn't think about because i didn't think about like okay this is nolan being nolan with the time jumps i don't know how effective this is i did think the time jump i did think the content within a lot of the jumps were was interesting and i think there there is that point in the middle before the bomb like the actual bomb is being tested Mm -hmm. and created that a lot of the time jumps are effective. So I, yeah. I will, I'll concede that I was wrong there in saying that. Um, but I also feel like Oppenheimer is depicted throughout history um, as cold and clinical. Yeah. And I think with what you're talking about, I actually found it interesting that the that they didn't like that the movie doesn't sh- highlight what the immediate effects of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that aftermath was I think because I think in doing so it would almost undercut the excitement that everyone has whenever that the characters in the movie have whenever the test bomb goes off Oppenheimer like has these like he's like almost getting high fives from people you see the close-ups of Killian Murphy and then after that you get what I think is the one of the best shots I've seen this year yeah. uh, or best sequences where um, he's talking to uh, an entire class of students and at yeah. Los Alamos where the bomb was originally tested and his speech is being interrupted by his own thought process where the guilt yeah. is climbing back into his psyche. Yeah. I think the way Nolan films all that, the way that's edited, I think is amazing. And Killing Murphy has the perfect face for that. It is. And I think that that is, the most effective part of the film besides the part where they're actually testing the bomb, you know, it's going to work, right? But he does a good job of building the tension during that scene. And then you have this one little blip where he is uh, immediately um, buying into his own supply, I guess you could say, because he's like going full American nationalist in his, what he's saying and you know, disregarding these people who he his actions have caused their death. Yeah. And and it's and he can see that he shouldn't be doing it because he's automatically filled with the guilt of this, but he can't help it. He's too hyped up by everyone around him. He is Prometheus at that point. He mm-hmm. is he is he did touch the sun and bring the fire down. And that is but then you go into the 
the trial of his, you know, security clearance. Right. Which I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to create a story out of his life and show how, you know, he, even though after this happened, he was still trying to do the right thing by telling people that we should not um, start an arms race and all this stuff. I understand that. I, I absolutely get that. And that is probably something that weighed on his conscience. But it's getting tangled in all of this stuff about Strauss and Robert Downey Jr. And it's like, basically, we're, we're like, you're questioning the legacy of this man who did this thing. So that way he won't be able to um, keep working in the future. I mean... He did the thing. He's going to be able to work in the future. It doesn't matter. Like, right, right. We need well, to move past this. Well, I think, I think, I do think, uh, to the movie's credit, it, 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 I think the idea that's trying to go deeper into isn't, isn't, isn't just, is he going to continue working because of his uh, communist past and his mm -hmm. left leaning manners, which we have to just if, for, for listeners, like just for the time period, left leaning back then is very different than it is now. Yes, absolutely. And, and QAC is mentioned, McCarthy is mentioned, yeah. um, you know, in, in, in both the present of the movie and the future. So it, it to the movie's credit, I think it does address that uh, fairly well. I think yeah. where it gets tangled up for me and I couldn't help, Listeners are going to get kind of like weirded out by this, but I, but I, I couldn't think, help but think about one of my favorite films, which is Lawrence of Arabia. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been on a podcast before where I've defended the runtime of that film. Uh -huh. And I think the reason why, even though that movie is an hour longer than Oppenheimer is, I think it works for me because there's an intermission that's literally built into the script almost. Yeah. The first half being um, Peter O'Toole's Peter tools, a simulation, his thrills at, at doing so and discovering the desert and the people, and then mm -hmm. him falling out of grace and him yeah. learning the realities of, of life, of that lifestyle. Then the second half being what happens when the, the legend that he's become is challenged and yeah. how does he overcome that? I think that's very clear and very easy to, to grasp, especially for uh, filmmakers of that, of, who grew up on that film, who like Spielberg and people like that. And I mentioned that movie because I feel like the way this movie is structured is a bit messy and it kind of leads to your point. I'm, I swear I'm getting somewhere, Alexi. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it's okay, I'm listening. I, be, because I do agree with you, the, them testing the bomb is, is, those scenes, a lot of those scenes I think are amazing. And overall, I just think it's, it's, it's just really solidly told. I think when you get into, uh, um, Oh goodness, what's his name? Uh, uh, Louis Strauss, who yeah. uh, who served two terms on the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, and uh, was a major figure with Oppenheimer in developing mm -hmm. the nuclear weapons and and just U.S. power in general. Um, it almost becomes his own story when yeah. in the present he's only a side character, and I think the movie loses focus in that it's it, it it slowly becomes well who's betraying oppenheimer mm -hmm. while there's this other timeline going on of these other hearings where it's it's trying to dig into oh well oppenheimer doesn't deserve um his 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 reputation his security clearance mm -hmm. his status 
even though we've seen him up until that point for over two hours, literally prove <laughs> prove why he's yeah why why he why he is is the creator you know of of this idea in this in this project, and so it just seemed it just seemed to me like I feel like if you took all those scenes, you put it towards to the towards the back half of the movie. For for my taste, uh -huh. maybe it wouldn't have been less thrilling, but I think that's where you, where you trim down those two hearings, mm -hmm. um, and then maybe splice them like maybe splice some scenes like over the over the course of the movie. But I think yeah. ultimately, them establishing Oppenheimer, them addressing which you and I haven't done yet, <laughs> the two specific female characters in the movie. Okay, here we go. I think I think that that would allow those two characters to breathe way more and the movie wouldn't feel as clinical and cold as it is because yeah. at two hours, I think this movie could be Nolan's masterpiece. Yeah. But certain directors reach a point where they can kind of do anything they want and bloat their narrative yep. because it's film. And that's what, and, and I know some listeners they're, they're, they're kind of, they're peeving already because Nolan's their guy and they're ready to give it five stars and letterboxed and et cetera. But this is just this this is these I think these are valid complaints and the fact that you yeah. share them is 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 interesting. I think so before we get into the women, I just wanted to say I think that the uh Barbie this, yeah, exactly <laughs> I think the Strauss thing is a way to give the movie a villain without it having to be Oppenheimer himself. Mm. And Oppenheimer is the villain. He is the main character. He is the protagonist, but he's also the villain. And that way they have a person to create the tension because I think that this is a hard idea to put on film. It is. It is. Of a man struggling with the the like everything he's done in the world. Like right. this is a hard thing to put on the film. So they had to have someone be the opposition and that's mm -hmm. what it ended up being all right now the women in this movie <laughs> well well but okay yeah. I, I don't want to cut off the host but like yeah no go ahead cut me uh, off i do well before we <laughs> i i because i was like when when i kept thinking some thoughts during the movie i was like yeah me and lexi are definitely gonna have to talk <laughs> unpack this stuff but i will say um before we get to the women i, I do want to say again downey really sells those scenes. I don't think I'm overselling his performance. No, He's absolutely. And I also too, one of my favorite performances, well, two of my favorite performances are also in the kind of the 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 the, the fat of the movie, the um the plethora of men. <laughs> the plethora of men. Because um I love Matt Damon in the movie. Yeah. I think he kills it as uh this general who there's a funny exchange of dialogue uh, later on before Oppenheimer uh -huh. actually gets his clearance, security clearance, where um, Damon's like, yeah, man, like you, you have these left leaning views. Like, this is why we're kind of hesitant as a military presence to, yeah. uh, to help you do what you need to do. And then he's like, well, I know who you are. Uh, like you used to study engineering. And that's, yeah. that's a parallel to when they first meet where yeah. Damon is running down his entire academia, uh, academic past. And I thought that was just a really great exchange of dialogue. There's a lot of really funny lines in this movie. And I will say there like, are like no one, I don't think gets enough credit for his humor. And uh, I was, it's exceedingly happy. dry, very dry, but I like that. 
Say no, it, I'm a drag, a drag humor person also, so I get that. That and uh, also, I think enough people aren't talking about Benny Safdie in the movie. One uh -huh. of the one of the uh, he's one of the Safdie brothers who directed Uncut Gems and Good Time. And uh, uh, Benny Safdie plays one of the people who works with Oppenheimer on the Manhattan Project. Um, yeah, I, I, I forget what nationality was he like? Was he Russian? I think he's Russian or Ukrainian or something. Okay, that okay, that makes sense. Okay, oh, I don't yeah. want to just you know say oh he's playing a Russian when I when I didn't know for sure. Yeah, but the way he seeps into that character, and then when you watch him in in Good Time play Robert uh -huh. Pattinson's brother, two very different performances and. I just find also, this... he's in Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, paying the dad. Have you seen that movie? No, but it's been it's it's on my list. He's in that. Wow. Yes, very weird, but he's good. I mean, he's just like the supportive dad. But um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> Softy's not good, guys. Also, another person in this movie that they hid in every part of the marketing was Casey Affleck, who's also another not good guy, and I don't know why he's in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't. I actually didn't know that about Safty. First off. Um, oh yeah, well, I'll tell you later about all okay. this stuff. But okay. um, but Sorry. I don't know why. No, no, it's okay. You can't know everything. I, I'm a woman. We have this like messaging system that we send to each other about awful men. Um. <laughs> But I they don't hide Casey Affleck. I was like, whoa, holy cow. I don't yeah. understand why he's not particularly stellar, not necessary to cast Casey Affleck in this movie. That's all I'm gonna say because I think that's all you can say at this point. Because like, all right, there's bad guys in this movie. I think like half of Hollywood is in this movie, so it's gonna happen. <laughs> I did think there's a lot of people, like people on the side. Like I was so shocked to see uh, yeah. Gary Oldman playing Truman. Like I was, I, like, I was like, man, you stay playing uh, prime ministers and presidents now. <laughs> That's just what you do. That's just what you do, man. Um, and all right, uh, all right yeah. so should we go into the women? So I think we should. We? Okay, we're doing it. All right. <laughs> go, uh, should I tell you my hot take about this? Please. I think just literally cut them out of the movie. Not to be a woman who's anti-women, but wow. I don't think they are ser he is serving the actresses. Mm -hmm. These are the two greatest living modern actresses, actresses of our time. And they are absolutely not getting served appropriately in this movie. Florence Pugh is there to be naked and show that he is wanted and Emily Blunt is there to be the sad alcoholic wife. <laughs> it's not needed. In a movie that's three hours long, you don't need it. We already know what this movie is. We already know what the story is trying to tell. I just, like, I think you have to, I'm sorry. I know this is, this is awful on me being anti-women, but I just don't think, like, you have to ask, like, what is the purpose of this, I think, at the end of the day, when you're editing a movie? So can, I, I, can, I, can, I, can I state my very uh, heteronormative male take? Of course. Of course. Go ahead. Okay. So I think, I think this is going to be an issue for some people. 
It definitely was for me, but I actually have a different reason for, for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I don't think they're necessary. I'm actually, when you have a biopic like this, that's this star studded and no one has done this before, like interstellar mm -hmm. speaking of Casey Affleck, like he just pops up in that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think Nolan is kind of, he's, he's, he's another one of these directors who loves to give, give work to people he's, he's worked with before. And I think that that's yeah. Casey Affleck aside. I think that that, that inkling is 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 reasonable I, I think and we appreciate that yeah especially yeah. for a person who can get movies made yes exactly yeah it, it makes sense that makes sense but what doesn't work for me and i think what doesn't work for you is that um they're being these women characters are being used to show you the the flaws in oppenheimer's uh persona yeah. but i think where it doesn't work is for one thing the movie is so so much of a thriller to where we honestly don't sit with a lot of the misdeeds that Oppenheimer yeah. is doing between Blunt and Pew. I think that's one problem. And I think with that, you the movies the movie is like I just complain about the runtime, but like especially throughout the first like hour or so of the movie, the mm -hmm. movie is it shows you that Emily Blunt, his wife, is it has an alcohol problem. It's doing the 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 very cliche thing that I'm surprised so, more people are criticizing. The bottle falls ugh. off the purse, and, and God, it's just feeling. so dumb. I'm sorry, it just is. And they're they're doing all these very cliche biopic things in a movie that's that is almost pretending like it's not a biopic. Yep. And that's what I mean when I say that no one's going for an Oscar here, because like that is like, okay, this is to make us sympathize with Oppenheimer, and this is why that he's was why he's womanizing. Yeah. And we've seen Florence Pugh kill it in so many things. Like she yeah. is the movie star of her generation, like yep. the newer generation, but the you know, and when Emily Blunt first comes to the movie, I did find that to be like a burst of warmth because like she does have that innately. And I think you kind of need that in the beginning to kind of humanize Oppenheimer in a way. But at the same time, like you were saying, this man literally created, he's the father of the atomic bomb. Yes. He has to sympathize with his cliche ass family life. I just, I did find that to be silly. I don't think they need to be cut. I'm actually fine with Florence Pugh being here for a couple of scenes, even though the scene where they're just talking naked that was stupid. What, I'm was sorry. Little... It's so stupid. It yeah, really was just like, what are we doing? He could delete that. Delete that. Like it was like, okay, man. It, it's. But the it's... thing is, I think you get enough humanization from him when he talks about his Jewish background, and I think you get enough warmth from him when you see him talking with David Krumholtz and these other, you know, Jewish characters about their how they feel personally motivated to do this because Hitler is doing these awful things to the Jewish people. Like right. you don't need, you don't need it. You don't need this because there is already a story there to be told. You don't need to add more to it. You just brought up David Krumholtz and, and I did forget to mention, he's also good in the movie. It always he's fantastic. I, I love seeing him stuff. Like I love He's him just so solidly good in everything. Like. Same things I yeah. hate about you. Yeah, the Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> The Santa Claus, big crush, yep. like everything, like he's just great. And he has aged into this like great side character after showing up in these things and their interactions are so good. And there's so, there's so much already there. 
yeah. there's already so much there. You don't need to up overstuff it. That's true. Yeah. Like I think we forget sometimes that the beauty of great actors is yeah. that um they can almost be the shorthand themselves into yeah. subtext and yeah. and portraying the past of the character. So I think Wow, that's funny. After talking this out, I think I'm kind of going more on your side as far as like maybe, cause like you do need to have Kitty Oppenheimer. She was a communist. I don't mind him. I don't mind her being in the movie. You just don't need all the like, I don't he's, know. You just don't said, need all of that. Stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it just makes him look like, it feels like you're trying to make him look better in comparison because she's an alcoholic and that's kind of gross. It is, and I did when, love. I did love the moment in that last hour, like where she's like standing up for him. I think that yes. that's like that's Emily Blunt being being awesome. Yes. Like that's that that's awesome, and uh, it kind of reminded me of a monologue in our next movie that I think yeah. uh, makes a makes a pretty strong impact. But um, yeah, um, there's good stuff. There's a few good stuff there, but you're right. The more I think about those things, the more silly and cliche that comes off as and and Nolan has never struck me as a cliche director so I am surprised yeah. that he went that way but I think that's kind of the the template of, of well, these the cliche is like the dead wife but instead he did the dead ex-girlfriend in this movie and it's just like mm -hmm. I don't know and okay so this is my note that I took last night at one o'clock in the morning after seeing the movie <laughs> so bear with me this is something I took about women so this is another hot take but why do, why do we automatically have to cast men in these roles why can't they be women playing men like in shakespeare why can't emily blunt be playing like the josh hartnett character i don't know this is just my like bananas ideas of like how do we use women in these role in these films where it's like typically going to be a man or a historical drama like let's start bending the rules a little bit like i just think that she's just emily blunt and it's also like it, it, it's a personal cause for me that she is so wonderful and she just has been shunted to the side by hollywood and all of these not great things and i'm just like please give her something to do besides being the sad wife who has an alcoholic problem please give her something else to do yeah i think <clears throat> Excuse me. I think to your point, there is an interesting opportunity when you do make a historical drama to, I think what would kind of answer your call, because I think that's an interesting note to take, because um, that is of a different time, like theater, <laughs> that kind of theater birthed something like that. Yes. So I think, so another one of my favorite movies is The Great Escape. And uh -huh. I swear this is leading somewhere. So like, <laughs> that's a true story of, the stalag left three situation in World uh -huh. War II, where like um, a bunch of people, a bunch of POWs, literally tunneled their way out of a of a camp, only for the sole purpose of possibly getting killed just to disrupt the Nazi regime. That's it. Yeah, that, that's mm -hmm. all they did it for. And one of the genius things that the director did, whenever he was working on the script, was um, he he combined real people into composite uh -huh. characters, and so you're able to have this action adventure story colorful yeah. three hours long 
where no, very few of the characters are really real people in real life. Yeah, they're they're composites of, of of other people, and so you're able to have these these machinations in the drama that wouldn't play as well if you just had a super serious Nolan approach. At yeah. the same time, it is a little disingenuous to go into a Nolan movie expecting the Great Escape. But the point I'm making with that is, yeah. we know that we're watching a movie. You know, we're we're here for these three hours. What you can do in, in serving these female care these female actresses a lot female actors a lot better. Is yeah, I think you could have because uh, one of my hot takes is like, I don't really get why Josh Hartnett is in the movie. Like, I get why his character. It's a little hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's very handsome. I'm, I'm not gonna front, and and film is an aesthetic platform, so I get it. Like, if you if you, I got to see Fourth Pew. In all her yes. glory, you get to see Josh Hartnett. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but I feel I feel like, <laughs> but there's so many roles in this movie that like anybody could have played outside exactly. of the I could have mentioned. So maybe yeah, like uh, you know, put Emily Blunt in. But at the same time, like I don't know how accurate that would be. Not in terms of real life, but just a movie because like it does become like kind of a, a duty film brookie kind of movie in that midsection. With I know. I understand it. It's just me being angry about, you know, these kinds of movies and trying to think outside the box a little bit at one o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> I think that approach can work for other topics. For probably. Sure. I yeah. know. I know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm demented. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think... That this is just, I, I understand, but you have to have intermediaries and in like this movie that's moving really fast. And I think that's the point of Josh Hartnett is to kind of like be that middle person that moves him from like being a, like a young professor into like a grown man and showing that kind of path and helping him along that way. I think that's kind of the idea. Here's my conflict with that though. Yeah. Cause like, there's that scene where uh, David Krumholtz, after one of the hearings, is uh, he gives he he gives Oppenheimer some fruit to eat, and yeah. then immediately after that, uh, Josh Hartnett spots him in the hallway. Yeah. There's that exchange, and like they never address that. And partially after that, because right after that, you get Robert Downey Jr. giving one of his Oscar speeches that I'm yeah. sure he's going to win the Best Supporting Actor award for. I um, think he will. <laughs> or at least be nominated. He, he needs to be nominated. Like, I will yeah. say, this movie does deserve direction and, and actor for nominations-wise. So I will say that. Um, I will say, I do think there's performance in our next movie that that is, is, a, is a definite rival for supporting yes. actor. But uh, about Oppenheimer, um, Lexi, I want to go back to you for a second. Um, uh-huh. I, I, so you're, I, I do see what you're saying about Josh Hartnett. Um, are there other... What are some other positives that you that you dig about this movie? Because I'll say on my part, there there were very strong aspects to the last hour that did pull me through it, even though by that point I did find myself just a little tired. I I think that is it Cillian or Killian? Is it Killian with Killian. like a K? Killian Murphy is fantastic and it's very like he is 
someone who they as they say the camera loves like he is someone who automatically draws you in you're sympathetic and for the time you're in the movie you kind of put off those thoughts of 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 the reality of the situation and i think that's probably you know it's a part of the question of these kinds of movies it's like is historical accuracy necessary i don't think so but I think you do have to be conscious of the message that you're sending when you make a movie like this that is based in history. Okay, interesting. So that was going to be, man. So I do have a couple of questions for you just based on what you said. Oh, so I was already going to ask right. these. I was already going to ask these. Uh, okay. So my, my first question to you was, because I do feel like, because I feel like you, you probably, you've probably seen more movies than I have just because of like our age difference. So I want to ask old. you, I, no, you're not old. That's <laughs> not what I meant to say, I swear. But truthfully, like, do you, do you feel like there's a way at this point in 2023? Cause I think biopics do need to be made. Yeah. And I do prefer the, I prefer like the, if I am talking about Oscar movies, I do prefer like uh, like the Ed Woods and, and movies like that, that do focus on a specific point in someone's life. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but like a movie like Bird, uh, which is a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, I remember it being, 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 you know, decent to good. Mm -hmm. uh, Forrest Whitaker is amazing in it. That was one of my like old, uh, old uh, music teacher's favorite movies. So I thought for that reason back in back in the day. But the point being that those movies stick out to me in my mind still. And even Amadeus, because Amadeus yeah. really begins when he's already a prodigy and it's focusing on Salieri backstabbing him. And so it is a Mozart biopic, but th the play that's based on is way more, it's able to dig into way more escapist debates because yeah. it, it is a fictionalized account. So I want to ask you, is there a way for this movie to be a little less conventional in spite of its Nolanisms? Mm -hmm. And if you were to take the length, the runtime away from it, my other question would be like, ultimately, what do you think this movie is? I have an idea like of what mm -hmm. it's about completely, mm -hmm. but I did find myself a little lost at the end. Like I think the mm -hmm. last line is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's haunting. It slapped. Mm -hmm. It cleared my face. It, it 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 took me on a ride. It 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 it, it gave me a shower. Like all, all the it felt all the emotions. Yeah. But that last scene comes after something that I was kind of mixed on a little bit before that. But so I want to get your take. All right. So I think that you can't. In this case, you cannot take the creator of the work out of the work like this, the whole reason or part of the reason people are going to see this is because it's a Nolan film. So you either have to buy into what he is selling or you don't a yeah. little bit. Mm -hmm. This is the story he wanted to tell. And I think he, I don't think he thinks highly of himself. Like, I don't think he has a giant ego. I don't think that of him. I think he seems, from what I can tell, like a relatively 
normal person. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like an awful, you know, creative genius as we could say. But I think he does feel the weight of the history of film and moving film forward. And he is one of the last big directors. I think he feels that. And that's the vibe I get from this movie, especially. Yeah. And I think he connects with Oppenheimer on a technical level because these are both creators who use theory to make real things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like maybe that's where he got connected with him. And also, and I think that that's where the movie sings mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. is when you hear, when you see those parts and when they really connect and they really gel, like the, the part where they're testing the bomb, like that's, that is what he is probably like when he tests a new piece of technology. Mm-hmm. to use on film that boyish excitement exactly exactly so speaking of women yeah <laughs> so i think that's this is this is the closest we're gonna get to like i don't think he ever would consider editing his work i think we are coming in on um, as viewers mm-hmm. and giving our notes but he himself doesn't see anything that he would change with this movie. And that's fine. That's the movie he created. It's his priority. He got the budget. He puts the butts in the seats. That's what he does. It's Um, no CGI, all practical. Yeah. And that's what we appreciate about him. Um, We don't have to like every part of a movie. I'm totally fine with that. I totally enjoyed my experience in the movie theater watching this movie. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the point. What was the second question? Give a second question. What do you feel like the movie's conclusion was about? Ah, the conclusion. Well, I think it just has to do with, I think, honestly, I think it's saying these people are complicated and we'll never figure them out. Okay, that's kind of, that is kind of what I thought. And I think where I'm having trouble being a hundred percent fine with that like like you said it, it is a i think nolan understands that film is subjective and yeah to have our um each person's take is going to differ even if they both share um the same viewpoint overall but i think for me that point does get a little muddled because with the robert Downey jr subplot specifically um uh, I, which i think that's the later hearing of the two mm-hmm. um he goes from in the present timeline to being like a side character, someone who who helped facilitate the nuclear yeah. power. And then in that subplot, he becomes this person with his own press and blitz mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so whatever, um, I forgot who is it. Uh, is it Dane DeHaan or? Yeah, no, Dane no, DeHaan. Uh, was it Dane DeHaan who delivered the, the news like you didn't? Um, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then okay. there's the, and then there's David Javak. I can't remember his how to say his last name. You're good. You're good. Um, I'm like I, I I can't remember it off the top of my head. But yes, hit the guy who's the spot in the Suicide Squad. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So that that happens and whatnot. And so that's when Downey has like this amazing expression, yes, on his face. Uh, that like the work that he's done to to basically 
try to knock down Oppenheimer is yeah. kind of irrelevant. We're, I think the point of the movie gets muddled for me is like that is so sure. And then we're left with that final shot of Oppenheimer, which I just professed is an amazing way to yeah. end your movie. I'm still wondering what does it all mean for him? Like, are we supposed to be left unsure? Uh, or he, he's he he kind of dies in existence of him being awarded, him being known throughout history, yeah. but him always having this conflict. I think the movie does sell that. I just wish that we got like maybe a few more scenes and I'm thinking about Emily Blunt yeah, <laughs> where we only see them holding hands after she's like, you know, why are you, why are you doing this? Like you, yeah. this is basically like pointless exercise, but, but they still have that love for each other. You know, they're holding hands because Oscar drama, mm -hmm. you know, um, <laughs> maybe I would have liked a conversation. Maybe that's the, 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 the 1950s melodrama fan in me, yeah. but at the same time, that is, that's not Nolan. Nolan is definitely more. He does have, uh, uh, of a, he does have a heavy David Lean influence, but he yeah. also is very influenced by Kubrick, and people yeah. like that um, in their in their approach. And I did think about Barry Lyndon a little bit while watching this. Uh, yeah, mostly because I watched it for the first time a few weeks ago. So yeah. Uh -huh. I think that this is not to answer a question with a question, but it's like. Will we ever know? Like, I don't know. Like, this is a very, like, this is like almost a minefield of a movie or a, a topic to attack. Yeah. And I think he attacked it the most successful way you can. And I, sometimes that's all you can do. You're never going to have a perfect depiction of someone or something. Um, so I don't know. I think that's just kind of what it is it's like this person was complicated mm -hmm. and we will never find the full answer because humans are flawed and they make bad decisions and people in power even worse are flawed if they you know have that power and so it becomes this kind of cyclical thing right right yeah, wow. no, it's it's yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. I kind of I kind of wish I would have saw Oppenheimer first, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> you got me thinking about all that stuff, and it's just like, wow, yeah, that's the that's the power. I guess I was asking for uh, all along. So wow, wow, Lexi, very well said. <laughs> okay, any last thoughts on Oppenheimer before we juice it up a little bit and go into Barbie? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, once again, I think you and I both agree uh, it's a movie that's very much worth seeing in the theater. Uh, you and I both enjoyed it. Um, once again, Murphy, Downey, Damon, um, yeah. they're, they're, they're fantastic. The score is amazing. Um, it, it's a movie that it feels like a cinephile's film. It's, it's yeah. the type of movie that we need in our climate right now, movie-wise, that is going to spark debate. Yeah. And entice discussion and uh and that's what movie movies need because if you're not doing that then your movie is not doing anything new with the medium so those are my final thoughts yeah i think it's a successful biopic and that it has us uh, discussing him and his actions and what america has done i mean like we need any more reason to 
discuss why America sucks sometimes, but you know, I think it's powerful in that way. And I think we need more biopics like this. And I think the most successful biopics are like this, like Elvis, Ed Wood. Um, I'm not there, which I recently saw and was like kind of floored by. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. I love that. And I think biopics should not be generic. I think you should tackle it from any direction you want um, to capture the essence of the person, but you don't have to tell the direct story. Like we can watch a VH1 behind the music or whatever on these people or read a book on them or listen to a podcast on them. Like the whole point of this is that it's an artistic exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm imagining um, your daughter like, turn on MTV and then boom, <laughs> like there's an Oppenheimer documentary. MTV doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, because they're showing documentaries now. So that's why Oppenheimer would be on there. <laughs> <laughs> Reality TV. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So are you ready to get jazzed up? Do some I'm, disco music? I have my have my pink suit on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm super excited talking about this. <laughs> All right, next we are on to Barbie, like directed by Greta Gerwig. All right, so as a man, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> I feel put extra on the spot now, as if I wasn't uh, just like uh, like not too long ago. No, um, um, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm gonna be real. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. So oh, far. I love it. Um, you know, I've, I've followed Gerwig's career, uh, since I, since I, I think the first, I think the first movie I saw her in, uh, because I came to the Mumblecore train at a little late. She's known as the yeah. queen of Mumblecore in some indie circles, um, was 20th Century Women, uh, which is a movie that like, um, really digs into like, digs into like, it's one of the few movies about mothers and sons and not a lot of mm -hmm. movies talk about that. And I connect yeah. with that movie because that was my experience growing up with the single mother. A son of a mother. Yeah. So, and her performance was one of the ones that really stuck mm -hmm. with me or sticks with yeah. me about the, about the movie. And so I followed her ever since Lady Bird and Little Women, mm -hmm. both movies that I love that she also directed. I think this is some of her strongest work because of the fact that it's a film geek movie um in so many ways in my in fact uh i wish the marketing didn't spoil the influences of it because i did uh, too yeah. trailers as i just posted today trailers show too much stop showing so much of trailers stop yeah it. yeah because I, I i would have loved to have like like just picked apart some of its influences organically yeah. but i mean this movie is wild it is um deliberately messy in all the ways yeah. that the Gerwig production is yeah. Um, and I think it's the proper way to approach something as weird as this. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. I think it's touching. I think I've, I've seen a few critiques of this being preachy. I think like a lot of Spike Lee's best work, mm -hmm. it, it, it earns its messaging. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really rad that we have this feminist movie that's targeted to in most parts all ages yeah. and is a movie that loves everybody not just its characters but really loves like everyone mm -hmm. across the, the 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 gender spectrum and i think that it's a very 2023 movie 
but it also feels very timeless. So uh, that's my take. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. Well, I'm going to have to agree with you. Well, <laughs> I really liked this movie. Um, also, so have you ever seen Mistress America? No, actually. I don't think I've heard of that either. So it's an early collaboration with her and Noah Baumbach. And it is a weird movie. But that was the movie that really made me take notice of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... I also, you know, I've seen Francis Ha. Right. I like Francis Ha. I feel like it's a little hoity-toity, upper, like, middle-class white girl a little bit too much for me. Um, but I, I, do, I do like I, it. I do like I it. I like I it. Like. But I think that there's, like, a li- it's a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's a little bit sharp for me in a way that's, like, I don't know. Not... I'm not going to go back to it over and over, I think. Um, but Greta Gerwig is from Sacramento, California, which is right by where I am from. So Lady Bird hit pretty hard because that is kind of where I grew up. So I think that's it's a very special movie to me uh, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, as someone who grew up around that time, who had a prickly relationship with my mom and now we're like best friends. And now mm-hmm. as a mother of a daughter who is, you know, crashing too fast into teendom, it is <laughs> a very effective movie. And then also Little Women, which is one of my favorite m- books, movies. It's a, it's a perfect movie to me, Little Women. Um, it's something my daughter loves also, which is very special. Um, and so, and then also, and now she has Barbie and my daughter has been with my parents, uh, off and on, uh, just spending some time with them during the summer. And she came home today and was like, mom, do you know Barbie comes out today? And that made me very excited. So I'm excited to see this with her when we can soon. Um, but this like is very much a movie that as they say is a little bit and i've said it before it's a little bit lightning in a bottle that this movie was made and is the way it is um i think it's not perfect but i think it's really good and I think that there's a lot to enjoy here. And I think this is going to be a rewatchable film for people moving forward and for people to share with their family members um, as they move forward in life. I think that that's a very important thing in film that we don't um, we don't touch on enough sometimes. And I think that this is something for people who... Uh, who enjoy films like this to share with other family members and kids or, you know, parents or whatever. And I think that that's what makes it kind of special. And I think (laughs) this is a weird, this is a weird take, but I think that this movie is ultimately about Ken. And I think that's why it's a good movie. I am hating women today. I don't know what's going on with me. (laughs) I think that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting takeaway because I did I did I was surprised while watching this movie how Ken focused it turned out to be yeah and 
I think one of the brilliant things about it, because I do agree with you, it's not a perfect movie. Well, there's there's one definite problem that I have with it. I'm curious to know yeah. what your what your problems are, because um, uh, I loved I loved mo mostly everything else. With Ken, uh, played by Ryan, we're talking about the Ryan Gosling Ken, I'm sure. Yeah, is uh, you know him going into the real world with Barbie. You see this very immediate separation of him loving the fact that he's able to express his masculinity that he feels yep. is is uh is being suffocated that he doesn't uh -huh. know how how to, how to prescribe those feelings barbie on the other hand has these feelings that she doesn't quite have the words for because she ultimately wants to be human and, and not be just an image and not have to just be an ideal mm -hmm. and i think both from a man's perspective, like you said, um, <laughs> it was it was very cool to me that the movie did that, and I felt did it really uh, approached. To, from what I could tell, it approached femininity very uh, respectfully and definitely nailed masculinity in a way that I I feel like I almost want to give credit Noah Baumbach for that, just because he did co-write the script. Uh -huh. But having seen Lady Bird several times. Also, I love Little Women. Um, I feel like she she often does a great job of drawing uh, 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 male characters as well. I'm just thinking yeah. about Truth Woods and Lady Bird, like supporting yeah. role, but he 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 gets great dialogue and makes an impact whenever he's yeah, on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And Gosling using his comedy chop chops, where I feel like is that's the best Gosling. Um, yeah, you know, I, lo I love you know Blade Runner and and twenty forty nine and um, and some of his other roles as well, but I feel like he's at his best being goofy and stupid, just like he is yep. here. And the way that Gerwig plays around with the very broy idiocy yeah. that's still rude in truth and a wish to be authoritative, but also be a part of servitude, uh -huh. I think is super complex. Yeah, I think that <laughs> this film ultimately is about the dichotomy of femininity versus masculinity and how you can't have one without the other really mm -hmm. and that is why the I, idea of one person being one thing is kind of ridiculous because <laughs> because if you only are one thing then you're nothing else and you're not interesting or you end up you know a as he did overcompensating yeah yeah and going on the opposite direction and it's fantastic what ryan gosling does in this movie i think it really like he is really like sells every part and I think it's another part of movies that need to come back is earnest or earnestness. Yeah. Being earnest. And you know, Maverick, he, that's something that I think, he, I think, I think that affected people is like, okay, we don't have yeah. to just be, and I don't want to bag on Marvel too much. Like I, uh -huh. I do, I do, I do love a lot of Marvel films um, uh, up, up until a point, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but I think, I think, in a way, they kind of lost their way with sincerity, and I think, yeah, I think ever since last year, we've seen the blockbusters like John Wick Four and Creed Three, and and uh, and and movies like that, like have kind of brought back an earnestness. Yeah. And I haven't seen No Hard Feelings yet, but I I get the vibe that that movie's another one where it, it's a comedy, but it's also yeah. very sweet 
in a, it, in a it, real way. It is. It's sweet in a very real way. And I think that that's something very special. And I think that those kinds of things are ex like very much dependent on the actor and the writing. Hint, hint, the strikes going on. You need to pay people what they're worth. Like this, this kind of film is only made because the the people who came up with the plot and the wrote, wrote it out and then the actors interpreting that in the correct way mm -hmm. and no hard feelings you have a superstar charismatic performance from jennifer lawrence in this you have ryan gosling playing the earnestness of trying to find his way in the world and doing it because he has had this entire focus of it being Barbie his entire life. And now what, and he has hit a wall. Where does he go from here? And that's where it all jumps off from. And I think that's smart because Barbie has such a storied history. She's obviously yeah. the reason why the brand has survived as long as it has. Yeah. And I think doing an IP like this where you're not outright, and I think this is what how it avoids cynicism is that Gerwig does she never points her finger uh, directly at the company. She points it at the people who consume Barbies. A hundred percent. And and how we've disregarded uh, how we've disregarded Ken Ken being a symbol for masculinity in the process, and it's very interesting that she approaches it with that kind of love and care. Cause I never felt like, Ooh, that was mean or that was mean spirited or something like that. Uh, I, I did. I always felt like, okay, she, she has her heart in the right place. Lexi, my first question for you. Oh goodness. Is we've talked a lot about Ken. So uh -huh. how do you, how do you, how do you feel about uh, Margot Robbie in this movie and her arc that was written for her? So I think, as you said, like the good point of this film is that it doesn't point the finger at Barbie. The idea of Barbie is a good idea. Mm -hmm. It's the everything around it, the world around it that is complicated. And that is how Margot Robbie plays it. This, like this role came along at the right time for Mar Margot Robbie to play this part because you really can't if see you have an actress like yes. she plays barbie she's perfect like you can't literally. have anyone else play this um but i think with this watching her play this movie or play barbie in this movie it really made me want to see her do something else mm, okay because I feel like she's been in these like heightened performances so much, like Babylon, uh, Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. Mm -hmm. Like she's been doing this so much, like, but she's great at I'm not knocking her at being bad at it, but I just think that she could do something that's if she knocks it down into like a quote unquote normal level, like I feel like I this is where this is the point where she needs to come in and do like a rom-com or something and get it off the ground because she would probably knock it out of the park yeah. um, because she has this power right now to do it because I think she would be so successful at it. And I would love to see her in something like that. Um, have you ever seen focus with her? Oh, yeah, Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. 
I love that movie. I'm a big defender of that movie. I think uh, uh, it's a heist movie with a great love story and they have absolutely fabulous chemistry in that movie. And it's just, it's a hot movie also. It's like super hot because they're it's hot. Very sexy. It is. And it is. she's playing normal in that movie and she's so good at it. And it's just like, I just want her to do that next. Uh, I think... Because uh, I, I watched, uh, after I saw Babylon in the theater, yeah. uh, I watched an interview that she had, I think it, I think it was with Carrie Mulligan, yeah. I want to say, and it was some Hollywood Reporter thing on YouTube, mm -hmm. and uh, she talked about how she, 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 right now, she has this appetite for these wilder kinds of roles, yeah. and I think that's why she's, she's picked um, roles like this. I think the closest that you're referring to that I can think of recently is something like I, Tonya. But even that, mm. that's like a dark comedy biopic. Yeah. So it does lean more into the crazy that you're alluding to. Um, and <laughs> even though I do love Margot Robbie and I, and I love her in these types of roles, I was, I was thankful that in this movie, they, Gerwig let the ensemble uh, almost steal the movie from her at points. And I, yeah. I don't see it as, as a thing against like, oh, down with the female star or something like that. But I think with Barbie and a true gender examination and a character piece, um, I like that this movie wasn't just the Margot Robbie show because it could have easily this this again this role is played to her type, yeah, uh, physically, and I think range wise, um, I, I would like to see her in something more down to earth. But also, this leads into a problem that I have with modern movies <laughs> that I've kind of bitched to people about before, which is I kind of wish we had more normal movies. Like I kind of wish we had yeah Stuff like no hard feelings and and just normal like normal stuff in theaters yeah. let me just put it like that in general and not just art house stuff so yeah yeah i'm with you and i think that she has the power to do that now and i as you're talking about the ensemble and i think that that's a part of the better part of this movie is that it it does have all the different types of barbies and kens and it allows the, the the film to be served by all of them versus just these two people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there's a point to her being quote unquote stereotypical Barbie. And that's very, it was, that was a very good choice of them to point that out. Mm -hmm. um, that that is the character that she is portraying. Agreed. Agreed. And um, and I think too, it was a, it was a really smart choice for them to not do to to not play by road movie rules the whole time. Yeah, like I like that they go to they go to the real her and Ken to go to the real world. You're pretty much done with the fish out of water stuff. Yeah, with the with both of them by like the end of of by like pretty much the end of of the, yeah. the first act, pretty much, and everything else. Uh, Ken learns pretty fast. Barbie mm -hmm. takes a while to learn, but that plays into something that happens later on in the movie. Is that kind of stunted, uh, stunted growth that she sees in herself that she's almost afraid of mm -hmm. approaching that part within herself, which I think a lot of people, a lot of viewers can relate to. Yeah. Um, and and I'm glad that the movie is a comedy that doesn't just. I feel like it, it did a good job of like, okay, we're gonna play by these conventions to be a mainstream movie, but we're not gonna just like beat a dead horse with our humor. Like I feel no, like- No, it was super fast and, mm -hmm. it and 
it used repetition of jokes in the correct way, like the going back and forth to the worlds. Mm -hmm. Like those were correct times to use the humor and like where all the corporate people are going back on like the giant tandem bicycle. It's like, <laughs> that's a good joke and it works well. It's like the- Or when the car flips, like the yes, second time- Yes, or when the car flips. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Allen stuff, <laughs> like there- the okay, so the two problems I have with this movie are Will Ferrell and Kate McKinnon. How about you? My so my problem is is Will Ferrell. Kate McKinnon, yeah. I was actually all right on, but um, she was. I think there was just something missing about that character, and they relied too much on her. And I think that they could have. I think they just let her kind of ad lib her jokes, and I don't think that they were particularly funny. Mm, and I okay. think if they flushed it out a little bit more, that character would have been more successful. I did like the discontinued Barbie bits; like that was very <laughs> funny. Like it played into the lore of Barbie, which I love. Why is there a TV um, on my back? Yeah, exactly. Like those kinds of things, spot on. Those are great. Those are absolutely perfect. Um, but I, yeah, I think her like that was kind of a dead end and then the will ferrell i think if they had picked any other like character like actor to do that role it would have been way more successful like put steve carell in there or something i don't know like put some someone who who's hasn't played that character before yeah so my problem with will ferrell in this movie is this mm -hmm. He's very much because I think I think you either said at the beginning of the episode or off mic that the Lego movie is definitely a template that they were following yeah. just mm -hmm. in live action this time. And he played the better version of that in the Lego movie, like with Lord yeah. Business. I think he uh -huh. kills it in that movie. And I feel yep. like Will Ferrell has so much energy in a Lego movie when he's voicing and in the live action portion. When this when so when you first see him in this movie, it was almost like Greta Gerwig was like okay do your thing and then he was like catastrophe yeah. you know and it's just yeah. like it just felt like kind of lazy improv yep. to me and like he's doing the man child stick and i feel like there should have been more dramatic irony between everyone else being silly and heightened uh -huh. and then the corporate people almost being so droll that it's yeah. comically dry and i do think someone like a steve carell could have pulled it off uh lately i'm actually uh, this is and this is an unpopular opinion, but I'm actually a big fan of uh, uh, Steve Martin in um, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Uh, oh, you know, I have not seen that movie, and I it's been on my watch list forever to watch that movie. I I would be curious how you feel. I grew yeah. up with it, and yeah. I actually rewatched it uh, fairly recently, like a few months ago, and I think uh -huh. it it held up for me. It's yeah. not a great film. Let me put it that yeah. way. Like nostalgia aside like i do think it's weaker joe dante that yes. said it's joe dante getting to make yeah. a fucking looney tunes movie with brendan fraser as uh -huh. the lead and they're and they're parodying james bond in as well it's it's a it's an interesting mess of a movie yeah <laughs> and steve martin hey, that. you're selling me that's my favorite thing right there yeah it's steve martin plays the president of of the acme, acme corporation mm -hmm. and he's like he and like, even if you don't think he, he is funny, I think what sells it for me is that he's giving a shit in this kids movie. This kids mm -hmm. movie that's heavy IP. Mm -hmm. I felt Will Ferrell in this movie. He it, he just feels like, hey, I'm in a Barbie movie. Whereas everyone else, they're going for an Academy Award. Yep. 
you know, like even the parts where Issa Rae's not in the movie a lot, Emma Mackey's not in the movie a lot, but wherever they're on screen, you feel their presence. Yes. Simu Liu is in the movie, and I wasn't a huge fan of him in the role of Shang-Chi. I know, uh -huh. you know but um, but here I'm like, okay, now I see what the hype yes. is about. You. Like, you're you're funny, you're talented, you're able to go toe-to-toe. He's able to play the antagonism of that character very well. Mm. And it's great. And I think what you said, I think is very apt because I think you need a balance in this movie of everyone being so heightened. Mm -hmm. You need someone like at the other end of the spectrum being dry. Like, like America Ferrera. Oh, yeah, that's why she's great. And that, but you needed a, like a little bit more of that in the real world stuff. I agree. I, think, I agree. In, in order to sell the fact that like this has happened before, it's like it needs to be a little bit drier. Be like, oh, this has happened before. We got to handle it. Like versus being like, ah, like this is what we got to find her and jump around. I actually really liked the scene where they're chasing after her and stuff. And I think that that would have been more successful if you did have a dry person being like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm getting over this rail or whatever. I think it would have all of those beats would have hit harder if you'd had a drier person actually getting angry at this versus him being goofy angry <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i said once once he yelled out catastrophe like he was buddy the elf i was like dude you're not even selling it like you yep. like, yeah yeah so i i'm with you on will ferrell i i i i like i think because i usually don't see kate mckinnon in movies like this that have yeah. this this much craft in it yeah um, I think I, it was just like, oh, Kate McKinnon's in this. Um, so I, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't necessarily need her to be more developed, be, uh, even though like. I don't even think it was development. I just think it was the jokes. Like, the jokes? Okay. okay. And I, and it's the same thing with Will Ferrell. And I think they just let them do their thing when this is a movie that's very construct, deconstructedly, deconstructedly constructed in a perfect way to get the kind of like off the charts weirdness that it needs to succeed. And then you have these two characters throwing in like whatever they're thinking. Speech. Yeah. Throwing yeah. it in whatever they're thinking on top of it. And it just doesn't work. You have to keep the construction going on of like, how are we playing this to be successful here? And and to your point, I will say I didn't notice in my screening because I saw this yesterday evening, uh -huh. uh, um, and it was a packed screening. Jesus, yeah. I felt like I felt like a weirdo. I'm sitting around with all these all, all these little girls and their parents. <laughs> There's the occasional boyfriend. I think I saw yeah. a, few, a few beards in the in the in the back of the crowd. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those those were the two performances that, um, like where it, it felt like the audience was just. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like exactly. Like, yeah. like Gosling, uh -huh. you know, it was just like, huh, okay, let's let's get to the fun shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, want to say something? Yeah, man. How do you feel about the um, the production design on this thing? It, like, I want to live in that world. It's like so beautiful. <laughs> it's and but it's also like perfectly fake. Which yeah. makes it fantastic. Like it looks like Barbie, but real size. Like that looks like the stuff I had when I was little. And it's just like life size. It's just amazing. Like 
That's what makes it funny. I feel it like it is. It is what makes it funny. It's like the Brady Bunch movie. It's like this is not going to work unless you have their house look the way it does, mm-hmm. unless you have them being filmed slightly differently than the real world stuff. Yes. Like if you look at Brady Bunch movie, you can tell it's filmed differently when they're in the different two different worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one looks like a sitcom, and one looks like you just you know an average movie. And like that's, that's, the that's point. such a good movie, by the way. Man. Um, it's a great movie. It's like, like it's a wild movie, and and I think that this, those two, like, and these two films will end up being like double features as time goes on, like Barbie Brady Bunch. Like the, the this is what's oh, going to yeah. happen down oh, yeah. the line, or even Jump Street, which I think takes a lot from Brady. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're naming all these Lord and Miller kind of <laughs> movies, which I think is cool. Well, they are successful at making these like weird concepts come to life and be be successful i guess is you know the easiest way of saying it they i think their movies i think the movies that we're talking about the brady bunch movie and movies like that like i think they're able to be meta without becoming reddit porn you know what i mean yeah they're not like just a string of references yeah you know uh that that are gonna date themselves in five years there's a couple of jokes in this movie that are funny for now that that might become like okay you kind of had to be in on the yeah. internet era to understand uh the 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 the, the zach snyder comment and things like yeah, that yeah that one was like a thud i was like why did they put that in this movie oh my god that was like okay yeah like that that's one joke where i was like really you know the like, godfather one though made me laugh so hard well that's because the godfather is timeless but also yep. it's timelessly known as every a guy's film, favorite quote, film bro movie film bro. And the way, the way that I think it's Kinsley, uh, uh, oh God, what's his name? It's Kinsley. Kinsley uh, Benadir. Thank you, Kinsley Benadir. The way he's like, yeah, you know, uh, The Godfather is the true <laughs> summation of Coppola's vision and yeah. Robert Evans. Like he actually knew the names, which made that joke much funnier to me. So I was like, okay, that's, he yeah was great. I think he was like the. Be- I think he was a probably better than Simi Liu as like the Ken. Like I think he got to that the best um but i think it's like simi lu was just being so antagonistic that he automatically got that but i think he was more on ryan gosling's level of playing it super straight yeah um, well also i mean their energies are just different as kids yeah because like, ken is following ken who up until a certain point has been a follower himself yeah. Yeah. so there's more of a a drier a ton of a, automaton element yeah to what kingsley's doing whereas simulu is he's he's basically kind of doing this isn't like the inspo i'm sure but uh-huh. it's a it's an archetype that that was kind of popularized by brando in the 50s with the wild yeah he's kind of doing that yeah. i guess like west side story or something like that yeah um which like the musical numbers in this yeah all right so that's my other big thing in this movie the music is not good enough those are my two complaints wow okay okay the those two actors and the music besides that i think this could have been like a perfect movie i think if they had gotten more like a i don't know they needed a little bit more pop i think they needed it to be a little bit like maybe britney or Mm -hmm. influence it was too now 
Or oh, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. It, it, it's like too much Lotto, too much Nicki Minaj, too much all that stuff. Although I did like the Lizzo bit where the song changes. I didn't know that was Lizzo. Interesting. Okay. I think it, I think it is Lizzo, but I did like that bit, and she fits because she's kind of seventies, like kind of disco ish. Mm -hmm. Like that song and the Dua Lipa song were the better songs in the movie. Um, but I think if they had just like you like the Ken song, I actually did not really like the Ken song. Wow. I liked the performance of it. Wow. But I think that they needed. You know, like I think if they had like a Charlie Puth or something in the studio, like oh, working God. on the music for it, but that's what you need. That's what you that's, need that's what for you that need. kind of film. Oh man, maybe maybe I'm just a, a weirdo because like I I because like a lot of modern music I don't listen to as much, and this yeah. is one of those times where like I feel like two film fans clash because of their music taste. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I guess because I'm not the type of so like. I guess this will make people understand where I'm coming from. Like, I, I'm one of those people, like, when I saw La Land in the theater, like, I didn't yeah. criticize the musical numbers or the music or anything. Uh -huh. I criticized the the dancing, but otherwise, yeah. I thought that the song, to me, the songs were good to my ear. Um, yeah. I thought it came across. And I kind of felt that way with this movie. Like, with, with, with when it came to the musical numbers, I thought the inspiration and, uh, and um, um, which I do think the musical numbers here kind of rival La Lands, like or or they 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 yeah. I, I like these better than those um so i'll say that i think with the music i guess if if you have more of a a knowledge on what is popular what fits mm -hmm. the vibe or because i didn't I, I only did musical theater for like barely yeah. a semester i didn't i did a drama <laughs> I didn't, so i don't have the i don't really go into movies i guess music movies looking for that like to me if the choreography is creative if it's colorful if it's interesting um i, I was more than willing to go with the flow this time um, i thought that the choreography and the way it looked was great like i thought the like fighting on the beach with all the tennis stuff was like that's perfect that's great that's exactly what would happen mm -hmm. um i just didn't really like the song very much and i think that they could have that's cool and I think it kind of has to do with, unfortunately, like the people on the Warner Brothers roster. I don't know a hundred entire like percent, and that's uh, exactly what it is. But it's a Warner Brothers movie. Warner Brothers does have a music division. Like yeah. they probably got the people who are in their division to make these songs, and they just stopped there. They didn't go any further. Um, it probably so would would be more special if the soundtrack was like because I remember thinking when the album was announced and I looked at the track yeah. list I was like oh okay it's top forty yeah. I feel like this movie would have been better if it was like curated like like yeah. like either two people curating it who like or like two people collaborate like two songwriters yeah. like on Mary Poppins just thinking about that where mm -hmm. it it was like. Uh, the Sherman Brothers, I think, is their names, who like yeah. wrote all those songs. Like they were already writing for Disney prior to them that movie being made. So I, I do wish it was like a single project like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed the music, but also, I also was laughing at a lot of the visual gags and 
just being yeah the visuals totally worked i think i'm just very like i've grown up with musicals i love musicals although i cannot sing or dance but i do love them i don't believe you i need you to sing your dance right now nope nope not ever (laughs) happening um but i think that i think if they had almost brought in like i don't know just something a little bit more uh like kitschy almost that's what you need it felt a little like like I know I'm like happy that this movie is earnest, but when it comes to the music and stuff, it like it has to almost be, overdone. Yes, oh. a little bit melodramatic, a little bit Celine yeah. Dion in the '90s. Like that's what you need <laughs> in in that Ken song. Amy that's Man. what you need. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you need that kind of song um, and soundtrack. And I just think like ah, it's just like. They were so close, unfortunately. It just, and I think it also has to do with Greta Gerwig not really being a music person. Yeah, I was going to say her inspiration definitely comes more across in the visuals. Um, yeah. The, the, and the writing and everything. Yeah. The writing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the writing, I would argue, is very Gerwig. And uh, as yeah. is the, the, the mix of influences that only an indie <laughs> mumblecore yeah. person would, would 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 mix for something like this. I think those come across. I do think it is one of those times where like the 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 soundtracks weren't it probably wasn't as thought through. But again, like I also kind of I also kind of approach this movie from like and I can't disagree with what you're saying, even though even if I don't necessarily feel that way. Of course. You can disagree but, with me. It's fine. No. <laughs> I get where you're coming from, though, but it, it's one of those things where I feel like because I think that's the one aspect of the movie that the studio was probably like, okay, it's for a younger audience, kids like yeah. Lipa and Lizzo. Although I think I think the soundtrack probably would have been would would have been improved if someone like a Dua Lipa oversaw all of it, and yeah. maybe it was a project like she could have pulled a Quincy Jones and brought in people like Lizzo, people like I don't know, like I don't know what Fergie's doing, maybe her, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or like Katy Perry because she hasn't had a good hit in years. Um, like no, maybe I think that totally would have worked. Like, we could all be on the same page and tell the people, story of the movie through song. Yeah, you need people who are going to kind of be like musical theater nerds a little bit. Like, <laughs> like that's what you need in a movie like this. You have movie nerds in like the production design and the and the costuming and the writing. You just need someone like that in the musical department. And I did like the Dua Lipa disco song when they're doing that dance. Oh, that's beginning. my favorite in the whole movie. That was yeah, it's track. so yeah. good. That's great. Do uh, like she's great at the disco stuff because her last album is basically all disco, which is a great album. Um, yeah, yeah I, I like Dua Lipa. That's one modern artist I do love. Exactly, she is great. And so I think if they had just done that, like with the um, with Ken's song, like it would have been a home run. Like it, it just would have sold everything. Also, tan- just quick, quick tangent. Of course. Am I crazy for thinking Dua Lipa would kill a Bond theme? Like, I think. She oh, I think she would. Thing. Yeah, she has that great. She has that like kind of slinky voice that you need. Yeah, yeah. Like she has like she has like she can do a little bit of that rasp, yeah. but I. Yeah. And I, and I want the next Bond theme, whichever direction they take with the movie yeah. overall. Like I want it to be like more upbeat, and I feel like yeah. if anyone can do it is Dua Lipa. Like, this is her time. So yeah. yeah, and the Billie Eilish song at the end is such a downer. Like, don't end on a downer. Don't do it. <laughs> it's not fun. I, it's fine to have that song on the soundtrack. 
and to yeah. have it in that little part where you're showing the different parts of women, which is where I like bald at. It's such a good part. Um, but you don't need it at the end of the movie. I just like feel like it's like we need something else. Right, need right. That's a little bit more upbeat. So I guess we should go into the America Ferrera, which is I think another reason this movie works so well. Agreed. Agreed a thousand percent. Um yeah. one, um, I was always loved seeing America Ferrer and stuff. She's Me someone too. who um I, I grew up with. Um yeah. Being, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like uh because I'm not sure how I mean when I was like in elementary school, I think I read like a couple of the Sister of the Traveling Pants books. So that, Aww, that's, that's, that's so cute. Oh my goodness. But I just <laughs> That's adorable, so, though. So yeah, like I, I I grew up with her in that, and um, you know, and, and so like she's anytime she's in stuff, like I yeah. never watched Ugly Betty like overall, but but I was a, I was kind of coming of age whenever that yeah. was popular. Mm -hmm. So to see how she's evolved and her kind of reminding us, like, hey, here's why, here here's why you know I'm you know I had my time in the sun as a, as a teen star. And her kind of passing the torch to the daughter character, that's I thought that was really interesting. And I think it was a good bait and switch. Like I always love subtle surprises in movies and not yeah. like oh, you know, not like stuff <laughs> like that, where um where the movie reveals through Barbie's revelation that it was America Ferreira's memories yes. that she was envisioning and not the daughters. I thought that yes. was a really cool way of going about it. And that also opened up a very interesting discussion in the movie about just how alike the mom and daughter actually are yeah. because there was a certain point where I was like, okay, they definitely look similar. Like they, yeah. they, they they're cast perfectly. Um, America Ferreira is kind of made to, to be like, she sees Barbie immediately and she's like, Oh my God. Like, I believe that yeah. you're you, her daughter yeah. doesn't believe that as such Yeah, because I feel like there's a, and forgive me if if I'm speaking out of turn, but I felt like the daughter was suppressing her femininity in a way, mm -hmm. um, by by not buying into the fantasy of Barbie so so soon. Like the, it's understandable why, but I also feel like part of that and how she kind of criticizes her mom through humor for a while, even when she's in Barbie Land, mm -hmm. it's just like you don't want to tap into that part of yourself that your mom is. It's almost. I mean, but that's the thing like there's shades of, there's there's shades of gray to all these characters which is cool yeah. but i think it's it was cool later on whenever um right before america ferrera is turning around with the car like it's her it's her daughter who's like hey like you you try to pretend not to be dark yeah. and fucked up but you're basically you're fucked up just like me like i yeah. got it from you and she's <laughs> like you know what you're right and then they go back and, and it's, it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing denouement after that but yeah i mean uh america frere is great what they do with her is fantastic and we have to talk about the speech the speech because i, I cried like it's so good it's I, a fantastic amalgamation of what it's like to be a woman at this time and point I didn't think I'd tear up during a Barbie movie, but Aww. the, I have to be honest, I have to be honest, like that, that part, it got to me because, yeah. I mean, obviously it echoes a lot of conversations I've had with the women who've impacted me in my, in my personal life. And again, as I said up top, like 
a lot of the criticisms I've heard about this movie being preachy, they echo a lot of the criticisms that like some of my other favorite filmmakers mm -hmm. have in their career, like the more messagey type of things. Yeah. And I think when you have something that's this wild and crazy and, 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 and I, I think there's a heart buried underneath. And I think America Ferreira talking about how it really is impossible to be a woman. I think narratively where it's placed is really cool considering that Margot Robbie in the movie, in the movie, thinks that she's ugly. Yeah. And we're, there's another great joke about that in the movie. Yeah. Um, and part of it is because, you know, you're not the stereotypical woman anymore. Like you are, you're starting to get cellulite. You're starting to get, yeah. you're, you're starting to show age and experience. And, and I think like, like all Greg Gerwig's movies, they reminded me a lot of like, the Saoirse Ronan monologue to Lord yeah, absolutely. where it's mm -hmm. just like, oh man, like you, you think being the more improved woman is, is depleting that side of your yeah. femininity. And your mom is there to tell you, you don't have to do that, honey. Like you don't have yeah. to do that. And that's kind of what America Ferrera was doing here. And uh, I just love that about Greta Gerwig as a director. I love the fact that she is so willing to let her characters cry and be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if I've said this before, but my taste for comedy is very, because I, I did a review of a movie on Letterboxd very recently. That's a comedy that I wasn't super fond of. And my uh -huh. problem with it was that it was so deadpan to where I felt nothing. Yeah. Like, I was in the theater just like, Man, this is for hipsters and no one else. No, if, and I don't believe that completely. I don't. I'm being. I'm. That's my. That was my. My asshole. Uh, uh, initial take. This movie, I didn't feel that. Like I felt like, oh, you're not just making this for yourself because you're a film nerd. Like you're you're using your film nerd nerddom, but you're still tapping into that little women yes. relatability that we love you for. And and I think that's rad. And uh, uh, well, how how. You know, I've, I've, how do you feel about the monologue and, and Do you mean, let the woman speak now? <laughs> I mansplain too I'm much. I'm just kidding, of course. Um, <laughs> um, there is something like extremely powerful about how the way, about the way Greta Gerwig uses the women in her movies to elaborate on the general idea of womanhood throughout time. It's like, as you said, the little woman speech is like that could relate to now or then when this film was made or when the book was made. Um, the same thing is here now. It's like this, this is a question that women have had throughout time but now we're at a point where we can vocalize them and be heard and communicate them to other women or men or whoever we're discussing it with and it's a, and it was just like every dichotomy that women have to face nowadays was expressed in that in in that monologue and I think the power of it was giving it to America Ferreira and not like very easily could have been her making a discovery about women. Um, 
about being a real woman. But, but it America, means more when a real woman. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because at the point, at po that point, Barbie is not a real woman. She is still, she's like basically an adolescent. She's more in tune with the, the teenage daughter emotionally than she is um, Amer a, a woman of Mer America for his age. And I think that's the point is like, this is a drawbridge film about how it is to go from being a little girl who plays with Barbies to being a teenager to being a woman like this this is the path that we all take um and it's messy it's not a full picture of womanhood but it is just like this movie in a exactly good in, a good, in a good way um because also these once and add another layer to it like these are once again beautiful actresses being um beautiful and costumed and makeup and just looking perfect on a film that adds another layer to it and the fact that this is once again another this is happening in a fake environment but the emotions that you're feeling and the chord that it hits with women is very true um and i think it's just like I think you have to have something this uh, this this powerful to undercut all the wildness of this film. Like, I think if it had just been a film about like her trying to find Ken and yeah. like them being in love at the end, it would have failed. And I think the best part of this movie is that they do not end up together, and she does not love Ken. Another yeah, good part of this movie. Yeah, I I was really surprised by the revelation that she's not, okay. I maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. I think maybe because this is my man my my <laughs> manitude coming into play. I just make that shit up. Wow, I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, but I, I was like, okay, like like oh, well, you you actually you're actually gonna say that you don't really love Ken, like yeah. that. That shocked me, I guess, because of my of my blinders. That that that. But it, I'm making jokes here. But in all seriousness, <laughs> that genuinely did surprise me. Yeah, partially me because I didn't know that they were addressed that, and then also it made me rethink the rest of the movie and being like, well, yep. there is no romantic chemistry here that's being forced, you yeah. know. And you would think two stars christened from the gods, like Ryan yeah. Gosling, especially in this movie. This is like. Got, like he looks like a blonde Zeus. yeah and he's also airbrushed and it's like tanned and it's just like so perfect the way he looks yeah especially for ken yeah yeah like, it's it, it's it's a it's it's a perfect perfect makeup job and make shout out to the makeup uh, <laughs> here um and i like that it forces barbie for the first time in the movie to 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 be like well he needs to exist independently of me because I put in it. She blames herself in her apology yeah. to him later on, where she's like, we could have had the guys night as well as girls yeah. night on some mm -hmm. cases. Like it didn't have to just be about the girls suppressing him and, and suppressing the Ken's place in Barbie land, which I think is really interesting. And I think about like not suppressing anyone. I think that's the general idea that they're going for. It's like, yeah any relationship it doesn't matter who it is um no matter like the gender you know norms of how it is or who it is or what it is it's not about one person it's not about 
one, one person getting all the love or the spotlight. It's about being in a relationship with someone um, and, and feeling that connection with them and not forcing it because you think it should be. Am I just putting too much into this idea, Preston? Am I forcing this idea into this movie? Am I reading too much into it? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm literally like, you're like, you're like the Barbie president. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one of your constituents just listen to you talk. Um, I, I, I don't think you're forcing an idea at all. I think, I think this movie is meant to be a think piece. I think yeah. similar to Oppenheimer, this is a movie that's going to entice or incite, excuse me, incite discussion. And entice um, discussion too. Yeah. <laughs> Discussions about Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt. They would have been good they, here, I think. No. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I, I don't think you're forcing the idea at all. I think, you know, I throughout this discussion, I think I have found myself focusing because it is it is using the idea of gender to talk about other ideas uh -huh. and not just the idea of gender. This is I think we do need to, you know, tell tell listeners like this is a movie that I think is very pro everyone, very yes. pro inclusion. There's... Yeah, they have a trans Barbie. They're not explicit. They have an actor who's trans playing a Barbie, the Dr. Barbie, I think. And then they have the guy who's Dr. Who. He's gay. Um, the Cuddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Cuddy. Yeah. I forget his last name. But they don't draw attention to it, which is the beautiful part of it. Um, and I think the idea is that this is a messy this is a messy dynamic that has been built because um because there have has been so much time and oppression spent on creating this dynamic of female versus male and it's like how else do you discuss it besides pointing out the female versus male and i think the approach of that like I, I was I I found it brilliantly audacious the fact that they depict the the Barbie snapping out of their um, what I'm trying I'm trying not to get canceled by you Lexi um, <laughs> them snapping out of their hypnosis I guess is what you want to call it them being yeah, like exactly. the sound effect and the, yeah. the performance like I thought all that was perfect yes and, and <laughs> the idea to fight this is being educated it's like of course yeah yeah, yeah. like it's it's it, it and again it seems so it's so it's delivered in such a matter of fact way that i do think kids will like really vibe yeah. with that especially because as i was walking out of the theater um i forgot to mention this uh up top but there was a there was a family it was a mom and her i think uh -huh. her two sons uh -huh. i want to say they Aww. were coming out with her and she i heard her ask them so what did y'all think of the movie guys uh -huh. and uh and one of them was like that was really deep <laughs> i just thought that was funny for whatever reason because i'm that thinking is the cutest thing ever yeah like i'm over here thinking he's probably watching that part where like they all go like they all snap out of yeah. the world. and it's just like it, it and i guess it surprised me when a lot of modern movies do that i guess because we've film wise as a culture we kind of deleted sex out of the equation yeah and um and 
I feel like Children's Fair can sometimes feel a little too sanitized. Those are kind yeah, of my two big complaints. Yeah. So, and luckily, this movie, through its Gerwickness, yeah, you know, doesn't do that because I mean, this movie, honestly, I, I had I felt more suggestive material watching this than a movie that I really like, really enjoy. Um, uh, 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 you saw Mission Impossible, right? Dead Reckoning. Yes, I did. Uh huh. So I I love that movie. My one of my only complaints is uh -huh. like the extent of the sex is just you just get uh ilsa and tom cruise holding hands and it's just like really can they you think they're boning i don't know if they're boning I, I that's the vibe i got i don't know i don't think so at all i think that he saw her as like a sister honestly that's how i felt interesting like. okay even the rogue nation yeah wow okay i think they passed the point of like like sex to being like family Maybe I should see Tom Cruise. Five, but <laughs> like they're just like like he only has these like three people in his life. It's like their family, you know. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point. You're right. You're yeah yeah yeah. I mean, yeah. people could read into what they want, but I just didn't feel any. It, it just felt like a comfort hug of them like being in Venice and like on top like. It didn't feel like, oh, yeah, we got to get down. It was more like, oh, I'm so happy to see you again and be near you. And we're going through this. And that's what it felt like to me. Okay. Okay. May okay. Maybe, oh, man. Maybe I need to look out for that when I when I rewatch Rogue Nation pretty soon. Because I'm, I don't know. It, it always felt to me like, man, Tom Cruise, like, you need to, what, like, dude, like, say that you like her. I don't know. But that maybe that's me reading into it because... I love Rebecca Ferguson so much. I don't know. She's great. She's fantastic. That movie is uh, a piece of magic in a lot of ways. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Lexi, uh, where, what are some of your additional thoughts on Barbie? You talked about the, the sets, the performances, okay. Will Ferrell uh, <laughs> in the movie not being his best, but... I did have, like, this idea... That this is almost more, and, and it is of course about male, like female, feminine, masculine. But I think it was all almost all, more about like disrupting the status quo. Oh, like, definitely, definitely. In a way, I mean, why and, else would corporate America be the villains? Like, I feel like exactly, it's, and it's almost. Sorry. Yeah, and they're just no, it's a, it's a, they're just using that because that is what these characters are. They're masculine, fem feminine, um, and I felt like the idea of a pa the patriarchy is used because Barbie is so you know she's historically sexualized and you know in inconceivable in proportions and all that stuff. It's like of course, yeah. but I think it's more about like how disrupting your life like she's disrupting her life to think about death her perfect life that's what it is um she's thinking about the realities how how do i get out of this path that's set for me um and, and figure out one that fits me yeah yeah wow that was heavy <laughs> um yeah i mean you know, right well, that's just it. Like, because, um, because, yeah, you and I have talked a lot about Ken. We've talked a yeah. lot about passing the torch between mother and daughter. 
that is a much bigger concept that I think this movie is grappling with. And I think that's honestly very weighty for an IP to flirt with that idea because it is ultimate, it is ultimate feminism to point out the patriarchal structure that binds both worlds. Yeah. Both together and separately. Mm -hmm. Um, I did think that literally calling it kingdom uh is is amazing and so funny but also um the fact that he bases it off of cowboy insignia uh i did yes, think about i, I did think about you for a second <laughs> well i mean we talked about westerns it's like the horse thing is just the that really made me laugh so much all the horses and the horse stuff it was, was that, just like was perfect. that like a phallus Thing? like was that like was that were, were they kind of like do you did you read that as like a like a like a, another another joke for like a phallus metaphor not really i think it meant more because it's like when he comes into that world he's dressed as, he dresses up as a cowboy and it's like the the ultimate like male image is a man on a cowboy you know it's like this yeah, this image true. that it's like a man in a car yeah it Yes, it's a strong Riding, image, but yeah, a yeah. man on a cowboy is a or a man on a horse is a cowboy is a much stronger male quote unquote male image. I no, I okay, okay, that makes sense, and I do agree with you. But yeah, that that makes sense because I because they kept bringing up horses, and I was like, okay, I know that that's manly, but I'm curious because I always think Greta Gerwig is everything she does is like double meanings. So that's that's how she. Operates. But I also think it's supposed to be funny because it's weird. <laughs> 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 because it's LA. Like it's like you're yeah. seeing a guy on a horse in LA. It's like such a weird thing. Like I don't know how many horse cops are in LA. I don't but I think that that's kind of the point is like like the idea of a patriarchy is like a cop on a horse. I don't know. It's just such a funny thing to think about. And then he takes it back and everything's horses. It's like very funny. Well, and like that made me think about um because I'm in because I live in Texas and so yeah. um the small town that where I'm from, if you go into the mall, you will see cops on horses, like just riding. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> but they, it, it's like unless it's like a ranch or like acreage, it, yeah, it's no that's nowhere else to be found. Like that's almost a falsity <laughs> in this state, except we go to like a mall or something in a small town. Yeah. Which I, I've always even as a kid, I always thought that was weird. It's like, huh. This is where you see cowboys is me shopping for for underwears. <laughs> but you, no, you are right. Like I didn't because uh the time I have spent in California in the past, like I did not see a lot of horses there. So um that no, that that is meant to be funny. And and yeah, I, I and with the you know, going back to the whole patriarchy concept as portrayed here, um I, I think it's interesting that as Barbie is being chased by Farrell and his crew. Um, I love the I love the well, I love the second cameo uh from Rhea Perlman. I think that, oh, I yeah, thought that yeah, was yeah. awesome. Yeah. The first cameo though really surprised me. Um uh where where she's crying on the bench, she turns around and she sees yeah. the daughter of the original Barbie creator. I thought that was oh, awesome. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And, and it and it that that scene also made me cry when she's feeling the you know trying to seek out the the little girl through feeling and he she talks to the older woman and it's just like 
it's it's an idea of you know age is not a bad thing you know yeah. we are we're taught especially women are told like getting older is bad like it's you're less desirable it's not a good thing but but i think the idea of like what comes with age like so many people don't get to grow older that's true you that's true. get life experience you get to see your daughter or whatever you know you get to create something like a barbie like that's what happens as you get older and it's like her finding out that the positive of of being a human is that you get to experience the positives and the negatives of it mm, yeah yeah no I, I i found that to be very resonant yeah um especially with with my own personal life like there, there was a there's an encouragement of willpower and determinism and free will here yeah that i mean it works because barbie is literally going on an existential crisis throughout the film yeah but also you know the the juxtaposing of of that with with ken loving the chance of, of getting getting the chance of just feeling like a guy and feel, yeah feeling like he's been feeling the expression of his self that he hasn't felt and he still doesn't have the tools to completely denote until barbie tells him like you're you're not it's not just ken and barbie dude it's yeah you're ken oh it's me it me yeah. like literally that's what he does <laughs> <laughs> and like i said gosling is just so perfect here um yeah no the, the thematically this movie's I mean, I, I I cannot wait to watch this again because I know just like yeah, me too. I know and I'm I, just gonna fall into just the the script and just ah, uh, it's just it's a treasure trove. I can't. And wait. I also think the power of this, and I think this is what people are missing because they do say the word patriarchy a lot, is that they don't say that the that being acting like a guy or acting like a woman is a bad thing. Mm -hmm they don't say expressing yourself in this way makes you a bad person no it's when you use it to put down other people is when it's harmful. a bad thing yeah exactly when it's harmful like at we the need end, to coexist like exactly we need, we need exactly be, we need to express ourselves but also be able to relate to one another to pass experiences to one another i think that's yeah. why Throughout the movie, there's all these different levels of mother and daughter, like yeah. Barbie and her creator, uh, America Ferrera and her movie daughter, and, yeah. and I mean Alan in the movie. Like Alan feels more in place with, and I like and I like this about the movie. Speaking of sincerity, I like that they don't. The movie doesn't mire humor out of out of any possible queerness or or, or no it doesn't anything like that out of alan like they do they do and i think again perfect casting i think if you are going to do that type of role michael sarah not fitting into the 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 cowboy box i'm just gonna yeah. throw it like that because that's where jesus it's more <laughs> that it's like he's <laughs> it's more that it's like he's <laughs> It's not that he like he's there's no like queer coding or anything on him. It's more that he's just a little bit weird. Once again, he's just like 
He's unique. It's odd. Exactly. He, He's not Colkin, you know? Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The whole point of him was to be a friend of Ken. But what happens when all Ken wants to do is be with Barbie? What happens to Alan then? Mm, yeah. You get a little weirdo like Michael Sarah. <laughs> no i love him i'm not saying he's weird in a bad way but he's just odd oh, same, you know that's same. the whole point and that's yeah. that is michael Sarah's energy and that's why they've cast him as this it's like he, he like he feels one with the female barbies because they accept him for who he is and you know want to hang out with him or whatever <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and I mean, yeah, anytime he was on screen, I was cheering. I was cheering him on. I mean, the whole fight scene that he's a oh, part of. Yes, it's so funny. I was like, oh, I love the joke about <laughs> as soon as they learn to build the wall sideways, we're toast. Because <laughs> they're building the wall upwards. upwards. I just died laughing at that because it's so funny. It's such a good joke. And I think a lot of the best jokes in this movie are like the side jokes or like the sight gags humor. Yes. Yeah. And it works so well. Um, this is what happens when you have a filmmaker who their production design and their and their visual effects, yeah. they're all on the same page with the costuming. Yes. Like that's that's why that's why, you know, not telling your director what to do from a from a producer studio note standpoint is important. And yeah, I think exactly. this movie this movie symbolizes that. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, oh man, it's just, it's just, it's, it's so good. It's so, I love it even more, even with, even with our criticisms. Yeah, I love it even more talking about it with you because I hadn't had a chance to talk about it with. Uh, well, just like Oppenheimer, it's not a perfect movie, but it's a good movie. It's a great oh, yeah. movie that's enjoyable and like is not heavy and is not filled with like a bunch of history that you need to know from like five different movies. It's just like, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I got to, I got to oh. jab. Oh yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's the time to do so. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like this movie a lot. I think it's I a too. blast. Um, I really recommend it to anyone. Um, if you still, if you still think, if you're one of those people, if you still think you wouldn't enjoy this, give it a shot. You know, it, absolutely. It has so much heart, and I do think we should support women filmmaking. Yeah, especially on this scale, like this, so rarely happens. And she was talking about how she wants to be like you know Spielberg, and I'm like, I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah. Why shouldn't she be? Like yeah. she is proving herself to be able to handle these tasks, like. And we just have to let, like, we have to let women succeed or fail or be just good. Like, you know, we got to like, keep giving them opportunities. They need like, to take big swings, too. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and I think that's where you get interesting filmmaking. It's funny yeah. because uh, today, during Oppenheimer, I saw the trailer for the new Ridley Scott movie. And I'm excited for it. Yeah. And, uh, and but I also thought to myself, this could either be really good or really bad because yeah. the, the the trajectory of historical dramas yeah um, which is fair like like really scott is who he is he's still able to make these films great films in the cases uh -huh. of the last duel speaking of historical dramas um and 
he's been allowed to have this this much time to take so many big swings and have so yeah. many fucking failures to get again movies like the last duel so i think gerwig is still very young in her career um obviously three solo movies in um i am going to check out the movie recommended uh, mistress america that sounds super yeah. interesting yeah um, and yeah i mean she's three th three for three for me me too and um I'm excited to see what she does next. I think she is, now it's safe to say she's one of the most interesting people working in the mainstream today. And yep. I am very pro choice regarding her uh, her going on a on a blockbuster path. Because if it's gonna be a bunch of Barbies mm -hmm. throwing out and maybe a little Lady Bird here and there, like a yeah. little bit, gonna show you, okay, I can do that Oscar shit too. Yeah. Then um, I think that's super dope. So please, please see Barbie if you have not. Yeah, I hope so too. I love this film. I think it's just so, it's just a like very special and I'm just so happy that it got made and it ended up being as successful as it is. And we just got it, you know, it was like her, Jordan Peele, like these are the directors who we should be watching and supporting. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I talk, try and talk so much about Nope all the time because I just really absolutely love that movie. I know it's divisive, um, but I just feel like we just got to keep giving people chances, you know, who deserve it, who right, are actually right. creative and deserve it. Like we got to keep doing this. You got to just keep um, hyping them up and, you know, going to the theater and all that good stuff. Well, I think film fans, we've been craving movies to talk about that yeah. are not just the same fodder. Like I am a yeah. believer, I am a believer that we should have pulp, more pulp in the theaters. And I think yeah. Barbie's very pulpy. I actually think to an extent, Oppenheimer's a thriller. You know, it's a it's yeah. it's an Oscar drama, but it is a biographical thriller. So there is. is there is a spectacle element to it. Uh-huh. And I respect its approach. Genuinely, even with my critiques, I do respect its approach to the subject matter because it's it, it is doing things different with the medium. So is Barbie. Yeah. Um, and I've felt for a while now, and I've talked to a few podcasters behind the scenes about this, um, that like movies just didn't really it was like okay where is film gonna go and i think we're seeing i think with the writer strike going on i think what's gonna happen my big hope is that we're gonna get something analogous to the 70s again yeah and this kind of goes what i was saying earlier um forgive me for rambling lexi no it's okay uh, but, away. well but the, the point i wanted to make earlier and kind of put a pin on on the point was with the 50s and the 60s you got like 15 to 20 years of just straight epics yeah or very bloated colorful fare to compete with television because at that point i think that was the first time every most households had tvs mm -hmm. so there's that competition and so after you get like all these movies that eventually made less money they were they felt more like content than actual artful fare mm -hmm. movies that have been disregarded by history um you know, you get the '70s where people like the Alan Ladd seniors and like the the Louis B. Mayers and all these people they cashed out their studio shareholding, and that was the perfect time for people like Scorsese and Spielberg to make mm -hmm. themselves known. And I think the people that you've a couple of people that you've mentioned like Gerwig and Peel, they're they're 
they're kind of at a at a perfect point now to make these movies. Now I would add Villeneuve in the running because uh, I actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, meant, I was actually talking about today on Twitter about Dune Two and and, and what's going on with that because it might yeah. get pushed back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Warner Brothers, where are you doing? Push push back the movie that you're spending all the reshoot money on, yeah. and give us Dune Two, dude. Like finish out yeah. that story so you your fans don't have to wait anymore. I know? think people are already gonna see that movie. Why push it back? It's yeah. not it's not like Challengers where they are trying to get the like Zendaya aged people to come watch this like weird tennis sex thriller. Like, do what people are Challengers, the Luca Guadagnino movie with Zendaya and my. You haven't seen the trailer for this? No, okay. so he's a director that I like. I've, I, I've, okay. Well, there's, okay. People are going to hate me for this. Oh my God. So I need to go back and give uh-huh. this movie a shot because I got 10 minutes into the remake of Suspiria and I was like, what is this? Like, so, but, but I'm, I have a very tin ear for horror. So, like, yeah. Okay, I need I need to give him a shot, but yeah, I, I know, but I understand that movie's very divisive too, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. I personally do not like it at all. Um, okay. but I do like what the other movies he's done, like okay, Call Me by, by Your, your name, name and stuff like Bones that. And all. Yeah, like I haven't seen Bones and all because I'm not really a cannibal person. Like that kind of ekes me out. Okay. So, but okay. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good, and I've seen his other stuff. Um. So, and this movie looks really great. Like, it's totally up my alley. Uh, and I think you'd like, it looks interesting, so you should like it too. But it's like, the, <laughs> but the, the it's like, of course, we're going to push that back because they want to get the Zendaya, like, bump with that one. Um, with Dune 2, everyone who's going to see Dune 2 is going to see Dune 2 because it's a weird movie, but it also has, like, a weird cult thing. From an so, author filmmaker adapting a yeah. generational book. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You already have the base there. You don't need people doing press for it. People just put out the trailer over and over and show what it is. You know, that's all you need. That's that's my personal opinion on that. And I want to see Christopher Walken be weird because I, I of think course. him being in that world intrigues me. And uh, Austin Butler being weird too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. No, I, I I love I love big budget sci-fi. I cannot wait to to see that. Um, I'm not really a big Dune person, but I did like I, just, I was like, oh, it's fun. No, I'm not really a huge villain Nuve person either. Like oh, okay. I okay. I I'm not like a hater of him. I just am just like, oh, it's good. He leaves like, you cold a little bit. Huh? He leaves you kind of cold a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. It, like, I don't know. I just Arrival, I think, at the time was really great, but I think looking back on it, it's kind of emotionally manipulative a little bit. Probably thinking about back on it, but it's not really something I really want to rewatch and dive into again because it's just so sad. <laughs> I'm just like, I would rather spend my time like not watching all the sad movies again. You know, I already watched the sad movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. There, there are there are certain uh, there's certain Villeneuve movies that hit for me more than they don't. Yeah. Um, I uh, I've seen Arrival a few times. Um, uh, I, I I do love it. Um, yeah. I love Prisoners. Lindsay and I talked about that last year on her show. Yeah. Um, um, and I didn't mention loving Twenty Forty Nine. Dune did leave me a little cold. Uh, admittedly. Uh huh. Um, and Lady Sandy. I'm sorry. 
It didn't leave you sandy? Left you cold? Probably too too sandy, actually. <laughs> um, no, and I actually saw it twice on HBO. Like, I watched it twice within, like, a yeah. And, uh, and I think it's a great achievement. Like, I, I really... I think it's objectively great. I'm just not, like, drawn to it. But I like the yeah, fact that... Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. Know, I like the fact that it's... No, I'm like, with it, too. Like, I think, like, if someone's going to tackle that material, they're probably the best one to do it. I am just not attached to that material at all. So I'm like, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, different strokes for different folks, you know. Exactly. But this is, the, But this is why we need people with these voices to, like, uh -huh. cater yeah. to our sensibilities, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Need more Barbie. <laughs> we need more well, weekends like this yeah exactly well i just want to say thank you again for coming on do you have any last thoughts on anything before we wrap up oh man um i mean if this is your if this is your first time listening to school by cinema <laughs> definitely go all the way back listen to <laughs> listen to the beginning uh listen to all of them uh lexi's great um Aww. and i genuinely mean this uh talking to you this time like i i I feel like you've grown a lot as a host. I feel like you've grown a lot as a podcast guest and you were great beforehand. Don't get me wrong. You were great at the start, but like, um, I really love like what your persona online is becoming. And, and, <laughs> this is <and> scary. <laughs> it can be, it can be as far as, you know, being a truth teller, but this is, you know, this is what, what film critique needs and film fandom needs. Like you, you, you're very positive with the film, the way you approach films and and uh, i think that's very admirable so I, I love listening to school by cinema and i love being on it you know, the, you know and talking to you about these movies this is this was a, a welcome surprise when you asked me and uh i'm forever grateful oh well it was so great i'm glad because i feel like we have very um similar you know sensibilities when it comes to this kind of stuff so i think it was easy for like me to be like hey would you want to do this crazy project with me so i'm glad that you did and i always appreciate your positive energy too it's nice to have more positive people out there and your podcast spots you're always great and you're just very well spoken and i always appreciate and it's coming and turning into a love fest, but I appreciate you coming on and your kind words. Hey, hey, I mean, Barbie's kind of a love fest, so I, <laughs> it, I, it is. I think it's par for the course um, that is. we that, that that this is how this concludes. But um, thank you, seriously, that that means a lot. And uh, yeah. Well, do you want to put throw out your handles or where people can find you, just in case? Sure, sure. Um, uh, please find me if you're on Twitter. Um, if Twitter is still around by this point, um, <laughs> P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T, or find me on Letterboxd, uh, where I'm plugging away at reviews that are somehow longer than Oppenheimer, and, and uh, that's uh, P-R-E-S-T-O underscore M-I-T-C-H. Very cool. Well, thank you again. And I hope uh, you guys enjoyed this surprise Barbenheimer episode. Uh, you can find me at Schooled by Cinema on Instagram and Schooled B Cinema on Twitter. And you can find me at Stunning Gun on Twitter. And thank you so much. Happy Barbenheimer. <laughs>